when you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Because we are doing a double of David or Russell's, yes, I know, but it's his 1999 Three Kings and, of course, Leone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Cue the whistles. I mean, okay, I'm becoming obsessed with this, with uh, Murakoni, but that the score in particular, oh boy. And here with me to go through all the shootouts, the double crossings, the playing of chickens, people staring at each other for long periods of time. He's co-host of the amazing Movies for Life. He's also a really great film writer. It is, of course, Brian Kuyper. Hey, how's it going? Good. So are we supposed to, I know this is an audio podcast. Are we supposed to just stare at each other? Yes, for, just stare at each other you know, intently. Yes. For Leave most of style. this. And then, yes. and then every now and then just release a verbal gunshot. Right? Yes. <laughs> Don't speak shoot or whatever the line yeah. is <laughs> yeah don't, if you're gonna if you're gonna shoot shoot don't talk yeah exactly yeah. that's the line and even eli wallach managed to put a few extra words in there for good measure so how have you been oh can't complain um hey. i'm on summer vacation so uh my day job as a teacher is on break so that's nice um so i've got a little more time to actually watch movies and had a little vacation and there were no tvs down there so there were no movies or anything like that for a week so i've sort of set reset myself on on that and it, that was real nice uh, so excited about movies again you know it can yeah. it can get tough when you watch them all the time, time. For, in- for all sorts of different things yeah yeah you do need a break though the last episode i listened to movies for life was your horror episode catch-up episode where you basically yeah. just went through all the horror movies you had seen for this year and um yeah there was a few ones i'm like going oh wait i hadn't even come across that one. Oh wait i need to watch that one so it, oh. yeah it was a good good reminder to sort of write down a list and yeah, that that yeah. was that's an unusual episode for us because we actually talk about movies we don't like too, yes. <laughs> which we almost never do. <laughs> so we we uh we we don't go easy on a couple of movies on that. No, list. you don't. That, that, like yeah, that, I I think my my disdain for Cocaine Bear has been uh, well documented by this point so i don't think i'm spoiling anything by saying that <laughs> but uh and to be oh. fair there's only two reactions you can have to cocaine bear disdain or yeah that was fun i don't think there's actually any other <laughs> reaction you can have to it so yeah. yeah it's one or the other yeah i guess so i guess i'm so. in the i'm in the eh, it was fun i got to see a cocaine <laughs> do a rail off a leg but 
that is right. beside the point. <laughs> I, I, I did like two scenes in the movie, so I'm going to give it credit for those two scenes that I liked. No, I mean, I can't sort of, yeah, but it was a great episode just to sort of go through the movie, see what, and yeah, and that's, yeah, sometimes you don't like a movie, sometimes you kind of like a movie but have problems with it, like, say, Scream 6, though for me, I sure. just... Yeah, though uh, I was, I wanted to interject. This is when I know I'm loving a podcast, but I want to interject when the people are talking. Go, <laughs> okay, yes, I know they did the exact same thing they've done all the time, but that's comforting. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, Freddie's doing this or this doing that. But sure. again, I could see when certain performances in the final act, you're just like, oh, okay, that's maybe not quite what I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and and like I said, that might. Yeah. We were we were just kind of eh on that one, I think. Yeah. You know, so um, but hey, you know, we we also had some that we absolutely loved. Uh and we and most honestly, most of them that we talk about we really liked at least. Um You did, or, no, you or were yeah, we I, so hopefully maybe it highlighted a few that uh, people haven't seen yet or fell off the radar. Um I think a couple that people will catch up with are Sisu. Uh, yes. which, which is terrific and a ton of fun. And uh, the Pope's Exorcist, which low key, one of the fun, one of the most fun, enter- delightful, entertaining experiences I had all year. Uh, just a hoot. I mean, it's, yes, it's I, I, and I don't say that. I don't, I don't say hoot about very many movies. I know. Anymore, it it seems had like a everything devil's... is so heavy, but it was just, it was a, just a, a fun romp. It really was. I mean, it was. It has the devil's basement. You have Russell Crowe yeah. being a low key alcoholic, but being fun about it. Um, oh yeah, he's, I don't he's know. amazing. It's, and it. he's actually really amazing in it. And um, when they sort of said, "Yeah, we've got ninety nine sequels coming up," I'm like, "Yeah, I'm all in." Yeah, <laughs> I, I I will watch ninety nine more movies of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seriously, and I'm not joking because neither am I. Uh, you know that that's like that could be the new James Bond series. Just go on and on and on yeah. until they run out of sites to uh, <laughs> to exercise. Um, yeah. As long as they as long as they keep it fresh. I mean, and yes. that's one of the things that was fun about it. It was surprisingly fresh because everyone's like, "Oh, it's just a run of the mill exorcism movie." It's kind of not. It kind of is, and it's kind of not. The first half, I would say, definitely your typical exorcist movie. The second half, not. And yeah, I yeah. appreciated that, where, where it went. Because um, yeah. I did finally see the trailer for the new David Gordon Green, um, Exorcist oh, Believers. And I almost the, fell asleep during the trailer. It's so Exorcist. Yes. Am I going to go see it? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm like, David Gordon Green, could you get more Exorcist than this movie? I mean... I mean, oh. actually, no. Alan Barkin got a paycheck. She got to do a thing. I'm excited. I just wish they, that, they that's me. that's sort of my feeling about it. Hey, if if Ellen Burstyn can Burstyn, be in sorry, a movie, yes. no, all, you're all good. Mm. If Ellen Burstyn can be in a movie, I great. I mean, I'll probably prefer to watch her in her other movies, but hey, you know, there you go. And if I do that's have his thing. Yeah, maybe he's and gonna I, bring back Linda Blair for the second one. Who knows? Hey, good. Well, I would be. Would I'd be very surprised because I can understand why Linda Blair would be get that shit away from me. But <laughs> well, so um, was Jamie Lee Curtis, though. This is and true. Ellen Burstyn. So actually, we'll this see. is actually very true. And I do have a soft spot for his Halloween movies. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, even I do too. I actually like ends. ends. ends I actually yeah. like ends quite a bit. Actually, me too. 
Not um, as much as my co-host. She she really liked that movie, but oh, no. it, again, it's all you how it's all how you react to Corey. You either kind of yeah, go, yeah yes, absolutely, or you go no. That is yeah. it's like cocaine bear. You only have the two reactions. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> but I do have a soft spot for that, so I'm gonna keep. But yeah, I was just like, oh, so we're just it's just double the exorcisms. Okay, I'm I'm fine. Yeah. I'm in. It's, it, yeah, but. So we're not talking about horror movies, We're not talking about horror movies. I got completely distracted. (laughs) We are talking about war westerns, which I didn't know was a genre until I was watching these two movies together. I went, oh, yeah, it is a genre because Sergio Leone created the genre. So we're going to get through it. Yeah, sorry. You know, you could almost, for for me, it was was another thing that was funny is like, we seem to just talk about Civil War movies. I was going to bring that up. (laughs) It's like, how did this happen? Exactly. Because... you know, I, I was watching this uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly for the first time in a while and going, there's a lot of general in this. Yeah, there is a lot of general. Um, the blowing up of the bridge, just the way they yeah. see a few set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. only scene, the general. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, which, hey, if you're going to copy, copy from the best, right? And that's what Leone did quite a bit. Um, He would go, who's the best? Oh, Akira Kurosawa, because I've noticed you have a is that actually a Yojimbo poster behind you? That's or? actually a Sanjiro poster. Sanjiro, yeah. Um, now, I, I do want to say something, though. Uh, now, the first movie, Fistful of Dollars, is definitely, absolutely, 100% based on Yojimbo. Yes. But people often say that um, For a Few Dollars More is based on Sanjiro, but they have almost nothing in common. I was thinking that, yeah. Because I, yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I, I, I've seen so that, I don't, but I don't remember I don't, anything similarity yeah. between them. Yeah, so I don't know if that got brought up at all or not, but but to me, the second movie, it's like it's not at all. I mean, in fact, a few dollars more, it was like if they copied him again, they would get their asses handed to them in a lawsuit. So they had to come up with something completely different, and they really succeed with that movie. In fact, you know, a few dollars more is my favorite. I think it's the best, I should say, of the of the trilogy of it the is, dollars yeah. trilogy um i think it just uh and in fact it would be interesting to watch these in reverse order with this as a prequel oh yes the old getting the of the poncho prequel yeah exactly because you you know he sort of gathers his his iconic costume throughout mm. the course of the film and then um you know with the standing with the poncho just at the very end in the graveyard and then you know He's imagine Blondie rides off and he becomes Manco in the for this second installment and then yes. he becomes Joe in the final installment. You can go <laughs> that way if you want. The man with quote unquote no name who mm. has a name in all three movies, <laughs> which I love. Yeah, I love. I, I love. I, so I don't. I don't even know which one we're talking about first. Uh, good, oh, we're gonna, ugly or we'll or, do Three uh, Kings. Three Kings. Three Kings. I, that makes more sense. That's because that's not a movie. I'm gonna. I don't. Good, the Bad, the Ugly is a movie you can talk about in such minute detail. Three yeah. Kings, you don't have to. As much as I think that movie is seriously impressive, by the way. So I'm not, I will be yeah. on the director, I, but this movie is actually pretty good, um, if that makes that, sense. That's my feeling. And yeah. I, because I, I hadn't seen this uh, Three Kings in a while. Me I saw either. It in the, I saw it in the theater. Um but I don't want to hijack the conversation, but, uh, but I, no. I saw it in the theater after I had been gone for a summer. I used to, I, I used to be, you know, pretty heavily involved in uh, church work and stuff. So I worked at like a camp for a summer. And again, there were no 
uh, no TV. I, at the time, you know, the cell phones weren't a thing. Oh, I didn't yeah. have a laptop. You would have been completely just, isolated. Yeah. So, I mean, movies, we could watch, we could watch movies there in the staff lounge, but they had to be PG 13 or, or, or lower. So Which three Kings yeah. is not. No. And so I got back from, uh, from my summer working there in 1999. And the first movie I saw was, American Pie, which was a shock to my system after, you know, two and a half, three months of just not anything like that. Yeah. And and I was just like. Oh, so no uh, one was oh. fucking pies at the camp? I'm surprised. No, no, it didn't happen. Um, But uh, anyway, we went and I mean, it's not like we could go to the movie theater if we wanted on the weekend. I, I mean, I think I saw Lethal Weapon 4 that summer. Yeah. I mean, we'll oh, get into I mean, the so, year that was 99s, yeah. but yeah. 99 was amazing. But, mm. um, uh, well, and Lethal Weapon 4. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that was a joke. But anyway, um, but then I saw Amer- uh, Three Kings. Like, I, I, I was like, I need something else after mm. watching American Pie. So I went and saw three kings which i think had just come out where the other one had been out for a while and i saw it in sort of like a last run theater mm. um which they don't really have anymore unfortunately and um i was just kind of blown away by it to be honest at the time even and i don't know i didn't know who david o russell was then and um i i don't follow him that much now to be honest uh i have not seen most of his movies no i haven't seen a lot of his movies either and we might as well do yeah. well we might as well just get into the trailers and then we can get into my to the action oh yeah, yeah absolutely of course. um yeah. but yeah i we'll get to it i wasn't dragged to see amsterdam i was going asked to go see amsterdam and i was just like yeah i still haven't seen it I I, no, I, yeah. I I saw I've seen Three Kings and I've seen um, Silver Linings Playbook and I did not like S- Silver Linings Playbook because I had read the book first. Ah, and, and the, the movie is just shit compared to the book. Sorry. I have not read that the was book my and opinion. I didn't love the movie either. But, yeah. that was the, but I hadn't read the book yet. And um, I've also seen him. I've seen American Hustle, but I don't remember anything about it all except being bored. I That's all I remember being about bored it. Bored and space ovens. That's all I remember about American Hustle. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that because that's the one good scene <laughs> where Jennifer Lawrence is just popping and talking yeah. about microwaves and space ovens. But before we really get into it, what is going to be your first trailer for Three Kings, Brian? Okay, so this one is a movie. There are three versions of this movie, technically. Uh, one from the like early days of cinema, like 1916. Uh, one from 1936, and then one directed by John Ford in 1948. I'm picking the one in the middle. It's Ooh. the one I actually like the best, and it's uh, Three Godfathers. Asparagus, Mr. McGillicuddy. All right, diaper your kid. Feed him milk, feed him anything, I don't care. If it was up to me, I'd, I'd put him out of his misery. You know, you got to be a good sport about these things. Maybe you think I ain't thirsty. You got it easy, you... Uh, You've been carried all the way. Here. If you spill any of this, I'll punch you right in the nose. Thanks, Bob. For what? For lots. And this version is directed by Richard Bolas... Bolaslowski. 
Ah, I've only seen the John Ford version. Okay. No, yeah. no, the John Ford version is the most famous one. It's got John Wayne and all. Yeah. But there's an energy to this version. I've only ever seen it, I think, on TCM. I saw it yeah. once in TCM and was like, this is, it's got a great sort of scrappy, unpolished energy, you know, non-Hollywood feeling kind of energy to it. It's sort of like uh, when you watch early Hitchcock, you know, like when you watch um, the... Lady murder or, or, or your lady vanishes, or, yeah, yeah, or or uh, his first man who knew too much. They're really gritty and they're kind of they're raucous and funny, and it, that's kind of how this one feels to me. It's it's just got something to it that um, it lacks the polish of the Ford version, but it has a sort of scrappy energy to it that i really like and i haven't seen it in a really long time but essentially it's a parable of it's a three cowboy outlaws who find a baby out in the desert the mother dies and they promise to the mother before she dies that they're going to take care of the child Hmm. so it's it's a it's a allegory quote unquote there it's a the three wise men yes is is a metaphor in it just like it is in three kings which is Very, why i picked it no it is yeah. <laughs> i was watching this going this is either what uh they would remake in three men and a baby or this yep. is the allegory for which is probably the three men and the baby is probably very very similar as well no, yeah, I've seen the um the John Ford and I, I liked it. I didn't love it. It's not my favorite. Ford. It's okay. Yeah, it's, it's okay. okay. And I'm yeah, I, I just starting to click with Ford, which yes, I know. But sometimes you have to get into your forties before you click with John Ford, except if you're Preston Mitchell or Daniel Epler. But uh, yeah, it's it's fine. It's 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 cute, <laughs> is what I would yeah, probably say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the original, it's not that it's not, it's it doesn't feel that cute. It hmm. has some of those scenes, but it's uh, done in a way where, I mean, because I remember a scene towards the end where they're just like, one of them has the baby and it's just like barely making it. It's almost like the end of Sorcerer, you know, where <laughs> you, they, yes. so you just got to, but, but instead of, a, you know, a box of nitro, you've got a baby. Just uh, get the baby over the bridge. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so it's... Uh, uh, I remember it being pretty good. I, yeah. I, I'd i like to see it again. It's harder to find than the John Ford version, of course. Um, so, but anyway. Uh, no, it's it sounds absolutely um, fascinating. And I do love those early 30s movies where um, they're scrappy. They haven't quite figured it out. Though in 19... Yeah, so I, I, I will track this down if possible because, um, yeah, that sounds excellent. Okay, so for my first trailer, I am... I'm going to go for a, might as well get my George Clooney other war movie out of the way. I saw this in theaters. I haven't seen it since. I don't know how well it holds up. It was kind of daft at the time and a bit incoherent, uh, much like the book. But I'm going to go for Men Who Stare at Goats from 2009. So what you're saying is that you were a a psychic spy. A Jedi warrior. I'd heard that the U.S. government was training psychic soldiers and that Lynn Cassidy was the best of the best. I've been reactivated. I'm on a mission. I could come. Lynn's story was unbelievable, crazy, and completely true. You have to dream a new America that no longer has an exploitative view of everyone. You will be a psychic weapon. Feel it, yeah! 
must create warrior monks who can pass through walls and see into the future. Congratulations, Scotty. Sorry it doesn't work out between you two. What are you doing? Cloud bursting. Keeps me in shape. And it's gone. Sure. Uh, the yeah. other one could have been with Syriana, which I was thinking, but um, oh, I yeah, like this. Yeah. I like. I think I prefer the satire, but more in um, menu stare stare at book. Yeah, I uh, I haven't seen it in a long time either. Uh, I remember it being kind of weird, and I, I I I there's a lot of weird in Three Kings too that I there like. is yeah. So so I think that's um, but it's it's funny. I, I like that movie. I remember liking it, not loving it kind of thing. That's where I am at the moment yeah. as well. But I really like yeah. George Clooney and it just constantly comparing himself to a Jedi master. And then, yeah. And then isn't Jeff Bridges in that too? Yes. Isn't he sort of like the, the he comes, he a, he's, like, he's playing the dude. <laughs> he's playing the dude. Uh, yes. <laughs> Everyone has finally caught up to the, the dude. Army. And so yeah. they just put the dude in the army. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I love. Yeah, it's basically uh, the CIA had the secret program where they, which, who knows, um, where they were trying to train psychic soldiers. And uh, George Clooney is meant to be one of the trainers, though he is not psychic at all. Um, and you have right. uh, Ewan McGregor, who I just found when I watched this a little bit of it was like, oh shit! But of course, they're referencing Jedi's and they and they hired Ewan McGregor. Hilarious. <laughs> Because it actually comes up quite a bit. Um, who's a journalist trying to figure all this stuff out and getting into rooms he shouldn't be into it, and then realizing sure. the army does not know what they're doing, which yeah. again is Three Kings and a lot of war movies after Mount um, Eleven. I've noticed. We'll get into yeah. what I remember from Three Kings and the noise around it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, the army does not know what they're doing. <laughs> Kubrick was right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Three Kings takes on a uh, different meaning. Yes. Uh, post nine eleven, it really and, does. Uh, it's especially after post second Iraq War. Yeah. Uh, it's just like it's I don't know. It, it really uh, it really struck me this watch through, um, and I know I'm in the minority, and I think a lot of people are watching this movie in light of. David O. Russell and all of his shenanigans. You but can I tell he's actually, yelling at everyone. You can tell he's you screaming. Can, yeah. You can, but I think he actually and I don't like to throw this word around, but I think he actually created a masterpiece with Three Kings. He did. Oh, and, well, and I, yeah. I, 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 that is my opinion, and I know it's not an opinion that's held by very many people, but um, I think of all the sort of Gulf War movies that's the one for me it's it's the best one and i think it actually works just as well as a post 9-11 movie as it does a it does. first mm. first world uh, iraqi movie which i think is really really fascinating uh what yeah. is going to be your second trailer for uh three kings okay so this is a documentary i'd been wanting to watch for a long time uh and i as soon as i finished three kings i was like okay i'm just gonna watch it so i pulled out my Werner Herzog set <laughs> and uh, put on a movie, a documentary. It's actually less than an hour long. It's called yeah. Lessons of Darkness. Oh. And two figures are approaching an oil well. One of them holds a lighted torch. What are they up to? Are they going to rekindle the blaze? 
Has life without fire become unbearable for them? Others, seized by madness, follow suit. Now they are content. Now there is something to extinguish again. It is about the Kuwaiti oil field fires. Oh. Now it is, I should say, it's ostensibly about the Kuwaiti oil field fires. Uh, when you see a Herzog documentary, it's always going to be more than meets the eye. It's always, it, there's, it's, it's amazing. He's talking about something, movie. but he's talking about something else often with his. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it gets. <sighs> The, the way he gets into all of this and the way he comes out, I mean, it's sort of like it's a it's really about the worst and the best and the worst again in human nature. And um, it's being Herzog. It's I mean, honestly, though, there's something about this one. It, it's, it's sort of along the lines of there's a comparable documentary. Uh, it's sort of like his Fata Morgana, which is, I think, you know, Koyana's Katsi, the Katsi trilogy mm. has a Criterion edition, all that stuff. It gets all the credit for this kind of documentary. His movies did it first. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, this came out in 92, <laughs> yeah. which means he was filming. Well, obviously, he made a documentary about it, so he was there because... He's a mad well, Fata Morgana so... was made in the seventies. Yeah, so it was made. It was made before Koyana's Katsi, and um, it, but it's just mostly music and image. The Middle East. Yeah. Uh, and he went out into the desert to film mirages, but it becomes something else. Another thing that Herzog does that no one else does is he lets the camera linger forever. It lingers in a way. I mean, you're talking maybe connecting it with Leone. Oh yeah. Even. You know, but you, he holds it there so long that the image, the subject, it's almost like it just means something else by the time it cuts. Yeah. And it, and it's, 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 uh, it's an amazing technique. And when he does that with people, it's even more powerful because he will not stop. He'll just hold the camera on them until they stop realizing there's a camera in front of them. Mm. And he'll show you the whole thing, though. The, yeah. them noticing the camera then it'll show you them forgetting about the camera and it's amazing and and yeah. i have never herzog is i think my favorite documentarian i love his a lot of his uh other work but his documentaries are just out of this world and this i i was so incredibly moved by this the only ding i would put against it is it's only 54 minutes long and i could have used another 30 it was it's just an incredible movie and i was uh i don't know i i don't know what to say about it i mean this is uh i think the best movie i've seen so far this year um first time watch i should say yeah is, is this and it's you know this 54 minute documentary that no one's ever heard of no, I hadn't heard of it either, though he is an insanely pro prolific documentarian. Um, yes. And there's so much mm -hmm. of it. I've only, like, scratched the surface, I think, um, in terms of his documentaries. Sure. And I do need to get into them more because you're right. He does do that thing where he'll just linger. 
and he'll just make to the point where you're getting uncomfortable, then you're yes. not uncomfortable, like the subject he's talking about and all that kind of minutia. I mean, he does it in his narrative films as well. Mm-hmm. We will just linger on something to the point where it just changes meaning like three times. And, and his, his yeah. use of music too mm. is so brilliant, which I think, um, I think is true of both of the movies we're talking yes. about. I, I think the much. music in both is just, it's brilliantly used. I mean, yeah. obviously, uh, uh, Morricone composed all of it for good, the bad and the ugly. And then On Carter Burwell before. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then Burwell, Carter Burwell does, um, the uh three kings one but there's uh, lots of other pop music and different kinds of things added in as uh yeah. dropped in as well um so it's just kind of but the use of music in in both of these movies incredible but uh um, always the way herzog uses music is there it, it brings out a spiritual dimension in it somehow I mean, and and whether you're a spiritual person or not i think it speaks to the humanity in everyone uh it sort of sings with the if you want to call it the soul or the intangible the something that is more than our intellect and emotions and experiences yes you know I, that, that i think we all have that i don't know how to describe and i'm really frustrated because i'm trying to describe it for an article i'm writing and i can't <laughs> <laughs> trying to describe Werner Herzog is incredible like i just read his book twilight world which is about this japanese guy in the oh. philippines who refused to admit the war was over and just kind of kept this island. The Philippines government had to get an old friend of his to come over to calm them down after 30 it years. It's it's yeah. very, it's more, it's like what you're saying in, but in word form. Like he's just like, it's sure. very abstract. He's just talking these little moments. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a, this is what would be when a Herzog wrote a book. It'd be this. Um, I don't know how <laughs> well, else to describe go. it. Yeah. I have uh, become more and more fascinated with Herzog the more I see from him Mm. Uh, i've watched about the first half of his filmography you know with you know and i haven't quite gotten up the gumption to do the second half yet uh but because it's it's a lot it's a lot to do herzog um so it was more than i really thought it was going to be well yeah and and the klaus kinski thing i mean um that's sort of shines is the epitome i don't think those are necessarily even his best movies no they're not you can just tell those two men wanted to kill each other it's like yes yeah and they actually did yeah Yeah. they actually had plans for that yeah um you can tell (laughs) david or russell screaming at everyone at the top of his lungs in three kings you can tell that in some places werner hortzok might have a gun or klaus kinski and klaus kinski is (laughs) like to go planning his revenge it is just I mean, I haven't seen, I've only seen Fitzcarraldo, um, but I haven't seen the other one. Mm. Aguirre. Um, yeah, Aguirre. But that is the sense I got. It's just, oh my God, this death well, appara- actually happened. Apparently the natives were asking uh, Herzog, so you just want us to kill him for you? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, My best fiend is a really entertaining documentary about them. So I need to see that. I have yeah. it somewhere. I think. Well, yeah. well worth seeing. Well worth seeing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Again, um, I'm sorry about. I'm I'm a tangent machine. So oh, oh, do not worry. I love it. It's <laughs> no, because I I love that. There's two modes of Verts of Winners documentaries. It's very serious. He's doing that, and then there's the fanboy when he's he did a uh, documentary on Gorbachev, but it was him fanboy boy out with him a little bit because 
as a child of West Berlin uh, or growing up just after the war and being a child of um, West West Germany, he kind of looks at uh, Gorbachev as this German hero, as the one who united mm. Germany again, even if it was him trying to deal with a bad situation in the USSR and kind of fucking up. <laughs> and so it's, right. it's kind of this amazing, and you can tell he's so, because right. Werner Herzog is charming, charming man. And when he's excited, it's amazing. I could just hear him, listen to him narrate anything. Yeah, me too. And I, I, you know, and that's one of the great things about Lessons of Darkness is the first part is him narrating. Yes. And it's in English. It's the 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 subtitles are like the titles are in yeah. German, but his narration is in English. So oh, I love I it. I don't know what's going on, but I love what he speaks English. It's it's just I don't know because the words don't necessarily seem to be quite the right words, but they're perfect out of his yeah. mouth anyway. That's better hurts us. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I just yeah. love that. Yeah. No, I, I need to see this, especially after watching Three Kings. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, yes, yeah. There's a whole bunch of memories and kind of things it brings up when you when you're watching it. I okay. I'm going to go for something completely cheesy. I'm just going to go for my dumb pick, but I'm my last pick is going to be Rambo Three, 1988. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's great. Bringing the tone right down, but yeah, I mean, yeah. he never draws first blood. He only fights back. <laughs> the first time was for himself. The second time was for his country. This time, Rambo, something went wrong. It's for his friend. Trumpman was a good man, and I'm really very sorry. You're just leaving him? What do you expect us to do? Send in a Delta team? Create an international incident? What about me? By the way you look, I can see you have no experience in war, do you? Fired a few shots. That if you're captured, we'll deny any participation or even knowledge of your existence. Sounds familiar. Who is this John Rambo? You'll find out. This is not the best Rambo movie, but it might be one of the most fun. Even though you think at the end, you're like, oh, no, no, don't, um, okay, we'll, we'll just, yeah, you just said yay to the Taliban, but okay, we'll just move right along. <laughs> I know, it's like, to be fair, James Russians Bond does the same thing. Russians the Taliban, you know. <laughs> the time, we're against the Russians, so we're for the Taliban. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane, I know. Okay. It's, it's some, some. It's one of those movies that you hope maybe will uh, age better over time again. <laughs> Who, who knows? I mean, it's just anyway. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Rambo making quips when he shouldn't be making quips. It's right. very dumb. Um, I do enjoy the movie because I think it is just kind of a lark. But having that playing in Thorny Three Kings just tickles me. No, that's funny. I like that. Yeah. When it comes to Rambo, I gotta admit the only one I really like is First Blood. Uh, yes, I, I, I do like. The was it two thousand and nine? The one. Wait, it was John, the the fourth one. John Rambo. That was yes. that was probably the most violent movie I've yes. ever seen in my life. Yeah. Good God! I mean, it was just like, and I've seen a lot of violent movies, but me that too. one had me just like viscerally going, "Jeez, Jesus, man. Rambo! You've just gone full Jason." <laughs> I mean, it's it's wild. Gee, hints at in the first one, yeah. but First Blood, I think, is a masterpiece. I think nothing can beat that movie. But I do yeah. appreciate John Rambo just because I think that movie just goes, oh, what the hell? 
but no, the um, yeah. that first Rambo is just feels like it comes out of it's a perfect Vietnam movie, but it feels like it comes mm-hmm. out of nowhere. If that makes yeah. sense, you know, uh, one of the directors writers who was originally connected to that film mm. to to write and direct. First Blood, based on the Morel novel, mm. was Wes Craven. <gasps> and I have read about two-thirds of Morel's novel. Yeah. And I can't help but think maybe Wes Craven would have included the nude mi- mi- motorcycle chase. Of course he would have. <laughs> uh, you know, um, there there are certain things that are that are not in the uh the the movie as we know it, uh that that are uh would have been interesting to see if they made it into a different version of the movie you know um yeah the book is is really really violent really really dark uh he kills people instead of hurting them um and he dies at the end doesn't he or dies at the yeah yeah, he's he's and i think he's killed by uh krenna's character and and that that uh, well because originally um again tangenting here uh wasn't kirk douglas was set to play that yes. character. Yes, he was. And and when they changed the ending to have Rambo live, he left the project. Yeah, because it's kind of feels like a seventies movie in the sense of yeah. how it's shot and everything like that. It's nineteen eighty two, so it's still got that seventies feel, sure. but it's got the eighties ending of he survives. It does. It and does. the whole point of it, Rambo, that... yeah, is that mm-hmm. he's meant to be the monster that America created, yeah. not the kind of. Even though I love Sylvester Stallone's performance in it. That speech at the end, oh, yeah. screaming about um, survivor's guilt, is ugh, gets if me every you, time. If you read the book, um, Sylvester Stallone's about the last person you would put <laughs> in that role. Uh, but I think he's great. I, I mm. really like him. I mean, I, he made that so iconic, and uh, especially, I mean, honestly, let's be honest. What made Rambo iconic was First Blood Part Two. Yes, was when he went back the, and he fixed it the, and he won the uh, won the Vietnam War. Damn it! <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like I'm gonna win this thing on on my own, one soldier yeah. against the world. You know, um, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, just a different mentality. You can see uh, the difference. In just the national mood between one and two. Oh it's just my like... god, it's insane! Just the whole thing when he's like tying, or is that in three? <laughs> we see him. Oh, that's at the beginning of three when he does. We repeats the tying of the thing around his head. If he doesn't, yeah. that's iconic in two as well. Um, yeah, but it's yeah. You can tell the national mood at all points of the Rambo movies. Actually, yeah. it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating series. Like Rocky tracks Stallone's career. Yeah. And the Rambo movies kind of tracks the national mood for good or for yeah. bad. Um, yeah. And it's sometimes you're just watching the last Rocky movie going, really? We're here? Oh, Christ. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and it makes sense that Rocky Four would be that violent because, yeah, it's the, it was the mid-2000s. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and what, what was in the news? And, and you look yeah. at, and bring it back to Three Kings, you look at a lot of what I think – what you were saying before a lot with three Kings um, so much of what is dealt with in this movie became much more pointed um, in after the, in the second invasion of Iraq in 2003 or because I mean, the things that were being discussed were torture yes, and um, things. And, and that's another thing that links these two. There's a torture scene in both of them that yeah, I, there I is. hadn't, I hadn't oh shit there is too <laughs> put that together I hadn't put that together either um it's just uh 
and of course the the talk about you know um sort of the exportation of american culture one of the things that you know then even like the youth of soldiers and stuff like that because at the beginning Did I just say soaring? Sir, this thing is restricted, sir. Get out of my way. Sir, it's night, 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 God dang it. Good afternoon. What do you see here? Bunkers, sir. What do you see in those bunkers? Stuff they stole from Kuwait. I'm talking about millions in Kuwaiti bullion. You mean them little cubes you put in hot water to make soup? No, not the little cubes you put in hot water to make soup. Round, round, get around, I get around, yeah, get around, I get around, I get around. We're going fast, leave the safeties on, hit them with the blinding power of American sunshine. Please help us now. Don't leave. Let's just stick to the plan. The plan is for the gold, right? We can help these people first and then we'll be on our way. You go now, please. Uh, these guys, the, the way this movie started actually confused me the first time I saw it. Because when Mark Wahlberg just kind of looks back and asks, are we shooting? Yeah. I think he's asking the camera. I'm almost like, is he asking the cameraman, he are we of, shooting? I think he and is. I, yeah. And, and and so there's this it's like this i mean so there's sort of almost a meta quality to that opening and i i was just kind of like wait what and then it says and they're just kind of looking at each other and it's like i don't see anything in your eye and, and all that and it says are we shooting people or what yeah like oh okay um because no one seems to know what they're doing that's the whole point of the movie is no one knows anything no one uh knows what they should be doing um the war is officially over and he shoots this guy. Yeah. Um, and they get back to uh, the camp and. It's just, I mean. And, and they're just having a party because yeah. they've all been bored. They haven't had, they haven't seen, none of them have seen anything, any action. They've and just. Everyone praises Mark Wilbur because he got to shoot someone because he saw, he, and he didn't even see action. He just shot a guy. That's the closest yeah who might actually have, yeah yeah i mean and and there's obviously question was the soldier going to shoot him or was he waving a flag i mean there's it's 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 just the confusion and the fog of war you know right from the beginning and yeah. um and also right from the beginning you just see that sort of visual style of there's a grittiness to the look I kept thinking it looked like uh, a Soundgarden video because it um, yeah, reminded yeah. me of Midnight Sun, which is actually very good for being in. Uh, we'll get into the year ninety nine because we sort of have to, but uh, later. But yeah. for that time period, it did make it kind of look like this MTV kind of thing. But the mm -hmm. content is kind of reaching out and kind of asking very very difficult questions. Can I ask you? Because I remember reading all these articles about when this movie was going to come out, but I was not in America. So we were sort right. of just getting 
kind of not like today where I can just kind of go and find anything I want to find out. About yeah, yeah, it's just a different different situation yeah, now. But yeah. there was sort of this, and I don't, and I have no idea if this was even most Americans were even thinking about this, but because there was probably a few conservative pundits going anti-war movie how dare you that this was considered a very anti-america movie because they were criticizing the army but i don't know if that was an actual thing being talked about in the states around this movie at the time well i didn't necessarily feel like it's criticizing the soldiers you know yeah. it was more like it's criticizing the involvement yeah in that's... the middle east at all yeah um because it was just sort of like I mean, the movie is going after American foreign policy in a big. It is. Way. It is, and it's saying, you know, what, what? I don't even know what we did here. Is Archie's big lie? <laughs> yes. You know, like why are we? What is going on? I think that is you. Yeah. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of boredom. Yeah, well, and then, and then, then you know, the one guy is we liberated Kuwait. Well, did you? Hmm. I mean, but was there was an airstrike that essentially um, <laughs> flattened Kuwait City and sent <laughs> and sent the. Uh, uh, Iraqi soldiers out and that was about you know I mean it, it just it was very brief there was not a lot of of I mean and I think people expected that to happen again in 2003 um, for for it to be just a quick in out done and when it dragged on for 10 years it was like wait a minute <laughs> what what happened here well i mean the the part of it is you know you're looking at this is because um the the big thing is you know the rebels who are trying to fight against hussein saddam hussein and he said uh, when i george clooney just has all the foreign policy lines right he says um bush told the people to rise up against Saddam. They think they thought they had our support. They don't. Yeah, I was just agreeing that George yeah. Clooney has all the foreign policy lines, and the they thought they had our support. They don't. Kind of feels like the thesis of the or one of the thesis of the movie. Kind of essentially yeah. Yeah. that they kind of went and caused all this havoc, and then just went. Well, you're on your own, and yeah. if you're fighting against Saddam Hussein, who their movies constantly showing him his wealth, even if it is through these kind of more um, material kind of things, showing you that he has all yeah. the money, the people yep. don't, and they're expected to rise up yep. and take this guy yep. down. And America's just like, well, we've got the oil fields of Kuwait, so we're fine. Right. Exactly. That is the um, that is sort of the central thesis of the film. Um, now, of course, what makes this more complicated is in the second war, um, they did get Saddam. <laughs> no, they did. Uh, um, they uh, quote unquote finished the job of the first film. Of I mean, the first film. God, <laughs> well, yes, the Godfather Part Two. Um, they Godfather they, Part Two it, but they didn't right. quite know. What the... Yeah, there was a vacuum so... that they didn't. Okay, when you look back yeah, and you're expecting then... these men to know what they're doing, and they don't, yeah. and they don't understand. There's a vacuum that's going to have yeah. to be filled and they don't understand that right. they just think they can well and the vacuum was and... then filmed yeah the vacuum was then filled by isis and, yeah uh various things like that um government that didn't really work on its own um it, so there were 
they were trying to, I guess, it, there's a sense that, uh, you know, trying to recreate um, this culture in America's image. And you, you can't do that. It just isn't going to work. And you already see that you see that in this movie, um, like even some of the rock music they're playing is sort of like these weird versions. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's like. What he what, like when Mark Wahlberg turns off the music, this is bad music. This music is bad for you. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I do love Mark Wahlberg in this movie. He still has yeah. that um Boogie Nights energy, he does, like, yeah. He does. And I absolutely love it. So when he's sort of saying, um, yeah, this music is bad, it was bad for you, or when he's talking to his wife on the phone when everything's exploding around, he's like, I'm sorry, honey, I was trying to do a thing. Like, yeah. yeah, he's he's kind of adorable in this movie. He's um he he's is a, he's he's a man who's forcing to have to grow up and he's not de- dealing with it very well. Yeah, I mean, I guess the two elephants in the room are Mark Wahlberg and David O. Russell. Um, yeah, Mark Wahlberg, you know, has since sort of disowned a lot of his early career movies. Um, which you know, hey, whatever. Um, but I, honestly, they're some of the best movies of his career. Yes. Um, maybe and he's made plenty of, of pro America movies, so yeah, yeah, he's got yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I, I guess I, I think, I think this movie doesn't. I don't know that it's a takedown as a more like a critique and just. I think says, it's a critique. Hey, yeah, I was. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. I, I, I don't know. Is uh, politically, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm fairly moderate. I'm not. Yeah. I, I can see multiple sides of the thing, and so I, um, I, I've never felt like affronted by this movie. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, you I think know. it was one of those. Yeah. I think it was one of those controversies. Controversies when people heard about it, what it was about. Yeah. Then they got all upset. It was like so many movies when they haven't actually seen the movie. It's like Barbie at the moment. Um, though sure. conservatives apparently or those I say conservatives, but I mean those kind of awful pundits who just go and rant about things. They sure. some of them did actually go see it so they could be awful about it. So it was never gonna be right. it yeah. Um, but I do remember that was just kind of feeding out because I remember I dragged a whole bunch of people to see this movie and them being very confused buy it because it was sure. pop but it wasn't in the pop that they expect it wasn't like american pie is what i'm trying to say right i mean but the thing is what's funny about 99 is a lot of movies were like that there was a yeah. is sort of like a, a, a an examination of american culture going on uh in american movies uh american uh beauty being yes, the, that, that's the one, one of the more obvious of. being the more obvious example yeah. but i think magnolia does it too it, it uh, does matrix um, i would say it does it in its mm-hmm. own very special way i mean there were it a lot does. of movies it does yeah mm-hmm. like i was going to the movies a lot and i think it got to the point where some of my friends didn't want to come with me because it was like oh this is going to be american beauty or three kings again i'm like but that's what's coming out and i was kind of falling in love with it and they were yeah. just like, can we see American Pie again? Which it's like, okay, fine. American Pie in its own way. It is does kind it of a the same thing too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I, I haven't seen that in a long time, but mm. I mean it's sort of it sort of gets dismissed as a sex comedy that hasn't aged well, like most sex comedies t- tend not to. But the thing is, I think there's also an element of it that it's kind of being subversive and kind of a takedown of all that stuff it, too. It kind of is. I would say the one scene when he's videotaping um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's the one that's the, 
that's the that's thing. the one everyone points to yeah because i have seen that movie recently and it is treated from a more of a jokey not but everything yeah. jokey point of view yeah but everything else in the movie when you when the three guys do in fact lose their virginity it's not in that videotape way it's in the Oh, this so is actually, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing that happens and it's never going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're yeah. adults There's, now. This is what adults are. This is what it is to be an adult. Uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like, right, right. So for one of them, it's meaningful. For one of them, it breaks them up. And for the other one, it's just like she used him. And yes. so, I mean, it, it's it's so it's got, I don't know. It's interesting the way it, it, it I don't know. Yeah. Uh, looking back on that movie, I'm I, I be, I'd be interested in seeing it again. Uh, it's because it's been so long, but uh, uh, boy, that movie was kind of a cultural phenomenon. There was there was the whole there were a whole bunch of movies that were just called American something or other that year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was American Pie, American Beauty, American Pimp, yes. um, American Movie. Um, yes. Uh, Which kind is of all around the same time. American Movie is. An incredible piece of of cinema. I, I feel it was accidental because <laughs> this it, it is a. But yeah, it's also an examination oh, of American culture. Too. It is, especially the American dream <laughs> and the yeah. kind of you will succeed. And every point he's not succeeding because he can't get right. it because we are people and we cannot get it out of our own way. And I think that's part of uh, part of my idea with Three Kings is you know they go in there the soldiers have good intentions maybe even the army quote unquote has good intentions mm. but they don't they can't see all the ramifications yes. you know and so something bad is going to come of it no matter what that's just yeah. the way it's going to go and 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 inevitably that's going to happen with war um because war i mean even the quote unquote good war um World War Two. I mean, I just saw Oppenheimer. So, what does that result in? Exactly. You know? I mean, that was all good intentions. Um, yeah, they were going to stop the Nazis, which, yeah, it was a yeah. good thing. Unfortunately, this was actually a war. great movie to watch the same weekend as Oppenheimer. It actually really is because it got, yeah. kind of goes. I mean, even at the beginning when Mark Wahlberg shoots that guy, it's still kind of with good intentions. I mean. The one yeah. thing I love about this movie is he does show you the ramifications. You do see the, the blood, blood pulling mm -hmm. out of his neck and this man dying in front of you. It was yeah. like, you're right, he's asking the camera and then the camera is, well, you wanted this, so this is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. When Archie takes him out and says, you guys want to see action? Mm. Here, Here's the action. And yeah. shows, we did a lot of bombing out here and there's just dead bodies lying around. Yes, it is... Um, it's just this, I mean, I love Clooney in this. It's kind oh, of yeah. when he stopped his head bubble. I mean, as much as I love Out of mm -hmm. Sight, I cannot stop giggling every single time he's doing his head thing, even though he's being yeah. adorable while he's yeah. doing it because he's super yeah. hot in that movie. But this one, he's much more, um, whether that he hated David or Russell so much that he just like froze and he was very still. Um, yeah. But he is kind of the jaded one. He knows, he's kind of the one that, he's the one who knows what's happening. Like he's yeah. the um, journal, he's the press liaison. So yeah. he's the one that's trying to stop the press from seeing all the shit. So he, ha and so because of that, he has to see the shit. And when you, as soon as you put Jamie Kennedy in that role, he loses it. My God, the bird, but. <laughs> Poor um, fucking birds. Poor fucking yeah, birds. Um, I hate I to think what they put part. on those actual birds, but 
Um, uh, I think those birds, uh, those were, they look like mechanical birds. In the yeah, they did. They, they were very stiff. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, so. Also, fun little thing, just considering that um, we're pairing this with a movie that was filmed in Spain, filmed in Arizona and Mexico um, right. or Iraq. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 Um, that is something that I um, but was like, oh, yeah. But it's, it, yeah, it's this kind of this come to, oh, we fucked up. And uh-huh. I, we can only fix it by taking these people to the border to get out of Iraq. Yeah. That's the only thing we can, we can do, which is, it feels like a very small gesture. Just it's, gesture. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's saying, you know, the small gestures of humanity are ultimately what, Exactly. Yeah. Can can save us as humans, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's. I was really, really uh, hit by the, how uh, sort of complex it, the complexity of dealing with the problems. Yeah. Is, um, because um, I, I I like a movie that, like for example, the torture scene. I mean, you've got you've got. Mark Wahlberg and this other character, this Iraqi soldier, they're essentially the same person. They are. You know, it's just one had his home bombed, his child killed. Um, And if it had been the war had taken place in Arizona instead, it's the shoes on the other foot. I mean, it's just like... It's so, I mean, but you cannot deny, I mean, what this guy is doing to Wahlberg's character is horrific, horrible, and yeah. evil, you know. Um, it, Saeed so, Tegamalu, I'm butchering his name. He's a French-Iraqi yeah. actor. He's also really, he's also in Lahan, which he's amazing in. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for saying, I, I, mm. I didn't have my notes in front of me for his, mm. for the names, but he's so good in he's, this role, though. He's, he's. Awful, but understandably awful. Like you said, his yeah. when you mm-hmm. learned that his family was killed in mm-hmm. a bombing, and now he has yeah. no one, and he just has this rage that yep. he is just letting out on Mark Wahlberg. He's unfortunately the one that's taking the brunt of this rage, and yeah. he's so cool and so calm when he's saying it. Like, what's wrong with Michael Jackson? And he's pretty yeah. much stating what's wrong with America. This this really horrible moment, and Mark Wahlberg doesn't have an answer for this. He's a kid who lives in Arizona. He's just had a baby. Right. I mean, he's still trying right. to figure out his life, and now he's in another country that he doesn't understand, and mm-hmm. he's being tortured. But it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like, and it, but it also feels kind of surreal because he's being tortured for the sake of torture. Which again, when we yes. talk about post nine eleven, that feels way more uh, prescient kind of idea. Yeah, of what the Americans went in and did because they just realized, oh shit! Stuff like when the stuff up. came out of Abu Ghraib and exactly and, and stuff. We yeah. brought mm-hmm. bored people in charge who didn't know what they were doing, and so and they had all this anger, and they just yeah. It I mean, there's a reason why Saw and um another violent movie that was uh, the Rambo the, John Rambo were coming yeah, out during the mid two thousands, hostile and yeah. all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. It just rever- yeah. reverberated around everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the whole torture, quote unquote, torture porn. uh, I'm sorry. It's not a people hate that moniker, but honestly, it's not a bad descriptor. No, I mean, I have come to like the Saw movies a lot. Yeah. Yeah. At the time I was repulsed by them. I'm like, I'm not watching this. Um, Now, Hostel, I'm still not there on yet, but 
I'm not there on Hostel 8. I don't like yeah. it. I don't like them at all. Yeah. Uh, I, the Saw movies I can get on board with okay uh, because there's sort of a game. The game element, I think, is... And it's is, kind of silly, even though disgusting things yeah. are happening and it's torture. It's, it, there's a silliness yeah. element to, to Jigsaw yeah. now. But yeah. it, it, in 2005, I was like, no, I, I'm not doing this. It helps to have uh, a horror icon kind of character behind it, I think, whereas Hostel is just sick people Asshole, it's just yeah. Yeah, sick rich sick people. people yeah uh yeah which i i don't know what it, i was i i was watching hostile i was fine and then i got to the end it's like oh god i hate this i hate it yeah and it was just this 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 repulsion and i don't know if it was at <laughs> eli roth or what but <laughs> but that's just a personal thing a little, uh, but, little bit of column a, a little bit of column b <laughs> yeah uh, but you know, and and I understand why. Uh, okay, David O. Russell. I I want to just bring this up real quick. I think he was in over his head on this movie, and I yes. think that's why. And he can't handle pressure because when I watched the back, the behind the scenes documentary on this, I was like, um, obviously it's sanitized. It's not showing the worst of things, but you know he's admitting his pressure. Yeah. And 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 um, the camera is saying he's under a lot of pressure. You know, the captions say that. And I just don't think he could handle that uh, that level of making a movie. And he hand and he used and he just was losing his temper all the time. I don't know. And it seems like it's like, oh, well, it worked on Three Kings. So I'll just keep that's doing it. What I was going to say. Just, just not OK. No, it's not I mean, OK to berate okay. actors and crew. It's not OK. I mean, and what I what I like, you know, I hear about Clint Eastwood making a movie and I'm like, I want to be on Clint Eastwood's set because it's they like, go in there. It's like they talk on radios. He doesn't like bells ringing. He doesn't like a lot of sound going he on. Like action. And he, he'll he um, all right one take. when you're ready. Okay. And four o'clock, we're going for golf. It's um yeah. much calmer. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear about the Clint Eastwood sets and I'm like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> you know, that sounds like the environment I would work in. Whereas David O. Russell, I would probably do what George Clooney did. <laughs> punch him. Um, no, it's I mean, there's this amazing story um of I think uh Matt Damon's house when he was doing Invictus, and he was very nervous about the accent because the South African accent is very, very hard sure. to do. So it is, and, yeah. and Clint Eastwood is very notorious for only does not like to do lots of takes. Like he's just right. very let's get it canned like, no. and done. Yeah. And so they he's do the, a take. He's the opposite of Kubrick. He is the opposite. Or Leone. Or Leone, <laughs> Leone from what I understand. Who loved to tire out his actors. Um, yeah. which I don't know how this quite worked with we'll get into with uh, Eli Wallach, because that man seemed, did not seem <laughs> we'll to tire see. out. There's a scene where he's just very nervous. So he does a scene and he says, okay, we're done. Move on. And uh, Matt Damon kind of maybe in a bit of naive moment goes, oh, do you want to do one more take? Um, You know, I don't know if I quite got that or not. And uh, Clint Eastwood had just apparently said, well, if you want to waste everyone's time. (laughs) And he went, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that sounds like, that sounds about right. You know, because I I think, I think, uh, and you know, not every Clint Eastwood movie is a great movie, no. but he's made a lot more good than bad. He has. If 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 I'm looking at his directorial uh, output, I'm like, there's a lot of solid movies in that in that filmography. They're I haven't really seen good. Cry Macho, but I was entertained. Cry Macho years. isn't Cry Macho isn't great. Hmm. It's uh, he's too old to play the character. I honestly think it'd be a much better movie if he had had someone else playing the lead. Uh, um, but it's okay. Yeah. 
you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I think he probably should have retired, but by it's now, fun. but he's not going to, he's not gonna, he's gonna, yeah. he's gonna die. He's gonna die on a film set. He and, will. and, and I'm like, good for him. And he's like, if my, if a movie does, he has the Hitchcock attitude too. It's like, if this one doesn't work out, uh, we can make another one. Exactly. There's always and he another movie. Does that constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think David Russell, if he was so under pressure, he learned the wrong reasons. Like, oh, I can get this yeah. effect that I wanted just by screaming at people. Yeah. Hate that he, he, uh, is, is given those opportunities, especially since he hasn't really made a successful movie in a long no, time. I mean, Amsterdam yeah. is a really fascinating idea of a, of a movie. Okay. I love the idea. I felt like it was the first draft and everyone's yeah. trying to work around that. And it's it's so disjointed. It's so obvious. I mean, why is it called Amsterdam when you never see at, uh, I guess, no, it would have been filmed before COVID. So you could have gone to Amsterdam and gotten a few stock shots of at least the yeah, such a know. small thing bugged me. I'm like, why are we in a, a room? <laughs> You're in Amsterdam. Show me the canal. Okay, fine. <laughs> that's one thing I got to say about that's, it strikes me about these movies. Yeah. Both of them. Because they feel so big. Yes. Uh, you know, but uh, even, I don't want to go too much on a tangent of Leone just yet, but but honestly, even Fistful of Dollars feels like a big movie. It does. Com- even, though, even though it's all in one little town, uh, compared to so much of what's made nowadays, everything feels like it's, uh, if it's an interesting movie, at least, honestly, yeah. uh, in, my, in my opinion, where you have um, something that's not a superhero movie or or a huge budget feature, um, it, it all, you know, it all feels like, oh, we can't make a mid-budget movie like this, like Three no. Kings. You have to make one that's either micro-budget in with two rooms and a, and two people, or you got to make a you know, Marvel movie. And there's not much in between, it seems like. And, and that's... I, it, I despair is... that because you can have such interesting risks and independent ideas made in sort of this middle ground. Exactly. That's um, what I yeah. kind of love about Barbie because that is what it is. It's not yeah. an expensive movie. It looks big. It looks lush. I do want to go live in Barbie land purely because of that set design. Sure. I think it's kind of an Oppenheimer, even though it does a lot of people in rooms talking there does feel a bigness to it. And I don't know how there's much a it real, makes. it feels big to me. I think part of it, honestly, this is, an, uh, maybe it's is it just the lenses they're using. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I wonder. I, I asked that myself. Cause I'm kind of like, is it that they're shot on film? Yeah. Because that seems to make a difference. It's like I, hateful eight, which is mm-hmm. guys in a room. And that was purposely mm-hmm. done. He shot it on 70 millimeter. Quentin Tarantino. He did it on purpose. Because he yeah. wanted that big feel, but he wanted it in a contained space. And it does yeah. feel epic. Yeah, when you're watching Barbie, the scope of it is amazing. Because she's referencing a lot of 1950s musicals and mm-hmm. uh, um, sure. Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and, um, which I just watched, which I'm kind of weirdly obsessed, becoming obsessed with now because it's not the musical I thought it was going to be. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And... I don't know if you've listened to our episode uh, with Jessica Scott on that one, but yeah. uh, you might enjoy that one. I need There's to actually really listen good... to that. Yeah, um, Michelle and Jessica have some good insights, and I'm there. But yeah. um, you know, it's uh... just a, such working class musical, just people singing to me. Oh my god! I, I, yeah, it's anyway. amazing. It, it's uh, amazing. It's a, yeah, 
Anyway, interesting. Anyway, yeah. it's I haven't seen like, Barbie yet, so actually, it's it's I like it because I like Greta Gerwig. So I oh, I do too. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm we're going to see it tomorrow. So you, you, you're going to get a Greta Gerwig movie, but it's got this bigness to it, which I had I've been missing in cinema. Like you said, it either has to be so big that it's all CGI and they don't pay the CGI guys enough, so it kind of looks like mud. Right. Or it has to be micro. And my favorite movies are tending to be the micro budget ones because they're taking yep. risks. Yep. Um exactly. And they're they're not <laughs> Okay. So our current version of what I fear is going to be AI is screenplays written by twenty seven people. Yeah. That just produces this sort of sanitized mediocrity. That so many that seems to happen to so many big movies. And I, I'm not I could probably easily get accused of being a Marvel basher, but I, I like a lot of those movies. Mm. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to come across that way, but I feel like, um, so much of that is going on. And whereas if you have some one or two people writing a really great screenplay, um, you have the potential to be surprised, you know, <laughs> and that's, it does not say it doesn't happen. I mean, something like Toy Story, which I really love. The oh, I agree. Script, has 15 mm -hmm. writers on it. Like, or when uh, you look at. That's a good point. Yes. Or when right. you look at The Fugitive, who had fifth, who like seven editors. I'm like, what is going? No, you shouldn't have this many <laughs> editors happened? on this movie. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. This movie, yeah. but this movie's perfect. So it's, it's, but it, I think it's more the exception than it is. That is the role. exception. That is the exception I feel as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a good point, though. Um, so. Anyway, yeah, I mean, that, it's, it's, again, I'm tangenting out on you. No, I, I agree because I think this is an important thing because The Three Kings is a David or Russell movie. He wrote it and he directed yep. it. It's his vision. Yep. It's his, and I think he executed it the way he wanted to. And I think yep. he did learn the wrong, all the wrong lessons from mm. um, from it, which is why everyone goes, "Fuck it, I'm just going to tell what happened on set. I don't care." If, sure. If they're not worried about bashing him, opposed to At maybe other point, people within the industry. I mean, George Clooney has nothing to lose. He was right point. out and after the movie came out saying, this guy's yeah. a dickhead. Like, he wasn't yeah. even, he goes, yeah, I'm yeah. still in here. What are you going to do about it? And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, like Christian Bale and, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence have made multiple films with him as well. So I don't, I don't know. And Mark Wahlberg, uh, too. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Maybe it's just interactions with but different Christian people. But even Christian Bale said, I have been the mediator on many of his sets. Like, he has admitted that. Interesting. Like, yeah. And then Christian Bale is, has his, had his own incidents, you know, as well. Maybe, so yes. It's, uh, yeah, so it's... Um, uh, anyway, I've never been on a set, is, so I can take thing is, who knows? Who knows what the real story is? Exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that we should keep in mind. And I think when... I mean, hearing these stories is, is awful, anyway but at the same time it's like what came out of it, all of it i mean yeah this movie and this i movie. think this movie and is pretty great yeah because yeah because uh, i know when george clooney came on set he knew he was a big deal he knew it was a star and so yeah. he took kind of a leadership role when yeah. i don't think david russell russell appreciated that yeah we get but he wanted clint eastwood in the role originally and i'm like oh you were not going to be able to boss around clint you oh, Clint would have kicked his ass. Yeah, Clint I mean, I, the first day. I mean, you were always yeah. going to get punched in the face. Sorry, yeah. but if you wanted yeah. Clint, there's no way you could pull that shit with him. That's interesting. Yeah, 
I, Clint seems even then like he'd be a little bit too old for this. Way role. too old. Yeah, uh, Cl- yeah. Uh, Clint was too old by 1979. Oh, I, I got it. But he started tailoring roles to himself that really worked for he him. He did. Um, like, uh, you know, Unforgiven, I've, <laughs> obviously. I mean, that's he has to be older in that movie. Um, I think... You know, I know this movie is controversial, but I think it's a movie about a racist, not a racist movie. And that's Gran Torino. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's, you know, the character. It is um, the character, but he, I think it came on top of him in his 90s era when he was playing that character a lot. Yeah, so so yeah. <laughs> I think that's the problem. People. Yeah. If it was someone um, else, I think it would have worked better. Um, not clint even though he's perfect for the age and he's that but i'm like oh this is just what you've been doing in the 90s i mean sure yeah, yeah. i think he's good in that movie though <laughs> I, really I think do. he is good i think he is uh, really good in that movie but yeah. <laughs> yeah um and then uh you know i think um it, oddly i think he's a little young for honky tonk man but <laughs> um so anyway but, um, we'll know. get we'll get to Clint. Um, but we'll get to Clint. Sorry. No, but uh, he took on this leadership role, and there's a famous story when he punched him. David Russell says he was trying to help an extra who had to basically punch or throw George Clooney to the ground. So he threw him to the ground, but because it's David or Russell, George, and this has been building for all through the shoot of just David or Russell screaming and abusing people. Um, George Clooney had enough and punched him in the face. And I'm saying that because that energy that story's energy you can tell is in the movie, especially when they're sure. running around. I think it's when they go back to the town because Clooney figures out that the bunk is under the well mm-hmm. and they go back and they're all, and that's when yeah. the big attack happens. And they're all just running for like 20 minutes. Everyone's just running yeah. in different directions. Yeah. That's the energy I can, you can tell when, Oh, he's screaming at everyone. That's just got that. Interesting. Yeah. It's, and it's me reading. And I know this is me reading into the movie because I know. Sure. I've read stories of behind the scenes, so I'm inserting that on top of it, but that's the scene where it felt yeah. like yeah. he's speaking of Spike Jones, who I never recognized in a movie in Babylon, screaming at extras while they're getting spares through the stomach. Like literally, because it was like a 1920s. If you've never seen Babylon, yeah, yeah I, haven't seen, I haven't seen Babylon either. And um, he's playing Max von oh, Stroberg and this chaotic set so, where people so, are just Stroberg. dying. Oh, yes, wow. Yeah. And people are just like dying on set and but, uh, and uh, Brad Pitt's just walking around drunk and go in a, in a fake nose. Um, it's actually worth it to see that scene. I know it's three hours. It's very, very patchy, but to see I'm actually scene, curious about the movie, to be honest, yeah. because it, I know it's sort of like it's so divisive. I got to see something. If it's that divisive, it just kind of intrigues me. <laughs> I am more pro Babylon because I think there are certain scenes that are just incredible. Mm that mm-hmm. being one of them and again i had last year I had a year where i was just not recognizing directors as in movies like i didn't even for some i don't know how i missed it but i think i was just like oh shit it's john ford i didn't realize that it was david lynch playing john ford, david which yeah best which casting ever it was you know and i have kind of a hot take as much as i love that scene i don't think it's necessary to the movie i think it actually kind of Oh, I it's agree. A, but if I beat, had that story, it, for, for me, for me, it was a beat too far for the movie because <laughs> I thought it should have ended with with the scene with his dad. Yeah, I thought no. that's where the, I was like, that's where the movie should end. I, and then after that, because it's like, you know, that's what the story is. Whereas, I, I agree. But if I was Steven Spielberg and I had that story, which I have heard, so I know many times I've heard I've heard him tell that story a billion times. I and would so kind I'm like, of do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, 
And, and you know, the whole thing about I the horizon line is really funny. And oh. I mean, it's sort of ending it on this great moment, and, I guess. And, but but and at the, the same thing time, the I was camera like, to make sure the horizon yeah. is perfect. Yeah, yeah. I love it so yeah. much. And I do, I, I actually agree with what you're saying. I don't think it's needed. <laughs> yeah. But just as a scene, as you're watching it, I love it's it a brilliant it. scene. That's the problem, you know. That's 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 the problem with brilliant scenes is sometimes they're not really necessary no. to the movie. Not uh, at all. You but did people, not I'm need sure, it. I'm sure people would disagree with me about that, and that's fine. I I, I uh, in our Jaws episode, I talked about there's a scene in Jaws that lifts right out, but I wouldn't lose it because it's so good. Oh, um, I remind me when we get to uh, Leone, I there's a scene in Jaws that I'm pretty sure he lifted from the famous scene in in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I, when, I had the same. I think I had the same thought. Yeah, I was just like, hang okay. on, anyway. I've seen this. But yeah, Three Kings, it's, it's just this kind of mess of a movie, but it works so well because I love that scene when the they're in the village, you can kind of see something's wrong, but you don't know yet. But as soon as the milk mm-hmm. falls on the ground yeah. and all the women yeah. go to try and put get bowls, you went, oh, yeah. oh something's, something's not right in the land of Oz. Like it's, something's very, very wrong. And they're starting, I mean, yeah. George Clooney knows, but um uh, spike jones um uh, uh ice cube i almost want to call him ice tea very different two different people um right. and also um mark Wahlberg don't actually know why this is happening they don't sure. understand the the situation and the chaos they have just walked into and it's such an effective scene and i think another thing that um this movie has in common with good the bad and the ugly is the surreal nature yes. of it now the good the bad and the ugly is a little bit more literally surreal because yeah. um uh actually like based on paintings and things like that like the horse in the desert with the mm. umbrella mm. that's like surrealist painting right there. yeah whereas here i mean it's uh i think the desert setting is important for s- true surrealism and that is happening here so obviously but then you have things like a tidal wave of milk yes you know, even though there's a reason for it, we understand that mm. there's something surreal about seeing that tidal wave of milk. The saturations of colors change yes. throughout the movie, which is it why becomes... I keep saying it looks like Black Hole Sun. But that is the yeah, point. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there there are scenes where which where the colors are very desaturated, yes. like in the beginning, and then or and like and like the stops are overexposed. It's like there's too much light coming in. Yes, it gives you the feel of being blinded in the desert. Um, but then. There are times where, the, like in the town, where the colors are like overly saturated, where they're really, really green and and blue, and like the truck that they're driving, the blue truck is really, really blue, and um, that kind of stuff. And I think that's really cool. I love the part. There's a close up of the three, the quote unquote three kings, mm. which. Technically, there are four because Spike Jones. I forgot about <laughs> Spike Jones, and I was watching yeah. again. Did not I? Ne- I never recognized Spike Jones when he's on screen. I don't know what yeah. it is. I don't know what image I have my thing with Spike Jones is meant to look like. I think yeah. he's really good in this. Every single he time, goes, he ain't got no high school. Don't tell people that. Like he's yeah. He kind of almost <laughs> steals the movie up from um Wahlberg, yeah. Ice Cube, and Clooney. Like he's he's amazing. Yeah. And he's his, really good. His death is I, heartbreaking. Death is really, really tough. Yeah. And one of the things that, I, and, and then, you know, like showing inner anatomy of people. Yes. Yes. Um, 
That's the first thing I said. I've watched Three Kings. Oh, that scene with the bullet and sepsis. Yeah. Like apparently that's where a lot of people who saw this movie for the first time knew what sepsis was, which is an important thing with war because that's the thing that kills you. It's not necessarily the bullet as we'll get into with the Civil War. It's the sepsis. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so... um. So it happens twice because, you know, and they're both on Wahlberg, which is interesting because the one is the imagined bullet being shot into him. Mm. And I love how they show it and then they show it backwards where it like pops out of him because there was never actually really a bullet shot into him. And then the other one where his lung collapses. Yeah. Um, I I think those are really fascinating. There are these uh, close-ups of uh, Clooney ice cube and and Wahlberg, where it's just like low angle shots when the clouds moving above their heads yeah that are remarkable shots um there uh, i i don't know exactly how they got them uh if if it's like blue screen and it was put in later or mm. if they actually just did like time lapse with them or it what, looks but... a little bit more like time lapse but it could be green yeah. screen i'm not a hundred percent sure on on that but it looks really effective it's really cool and it's it's the moment where there's sort of a mythic moment with them Mm. and um and you know rigging the footballs with c4 that's americana mixed with war right there the bart simpson on the front of the humvee oh yes the, the fact that they do the thing. Cow. Oh my god, the exploding cow was so funny. I mean, yeah. it's it's such an a dumb ass. You got a whole bunch of kids in the war. Of course, they're gonna blow up a cow. Like that yeah. feels <laughs> Yeah. Everything is just blowing up in their faces yeah. at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. Sort of literally and figuratively. And you know, um the in the score, there's like when, when that part where they're running through the bunker and it's just like a drum solo, it's yes. like a jazz drum solo. Uh Carter Burwell, and then just mixing the sort of Middle Eastern sound with American sounds. It's, it's, I mean, Carter Burwell is kind yeah. of a guy who I always just associated with the Coens. And now exactly. I've just sort of watched more movies. I'm realizing, oh, he's a, such a good composer. I mean, what he did in uh, yeah. Banshees of Inisherin, I think that score is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Apparently, he oh, did yeah. come in wanting to play all this Irish music and was told, no, you, you do not get to, I don't want Irish music. <laughs> Right. Or, or too Irish, I, sh- I guess I, I could say. Um, sure. But it's... Um, I, I, f- I think yeah. he's one of the more underrated uh, composers working he, I think he is. Yeah, I mean, you his, know, uh, his name is an old-timer. It's... Oh. Yeah, yeah. His name doesn't come up a lot when he was like, hey, what are your favorite composers? People say, oh, Hans Zimmer or... Uh, uh, Howard Shore. Howard Shore. Or, yeah, yeah um, John Williams. But it's not, John Williams. It's not Burwell. And he's so yeah. good. And this is such a yeah. good score. And I love how it, you sometimes you don't notice it and then you'll notice it and then you won't notice it again, which I think is such right. an amazing trick. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're always going to notice America, America, uh, Morricone or John Williams because mm-hmm. that's what they do. But That's what Cole, they do. Yeah. That, but he kind of he just weaves in and out of the movie, and the mixture yeah. with the pop music and then the Iraqi kind of pop music, I think, is such a good yeah. way. Yeah. It's basically I, I really showing like that. that it's this way, really good way of showing you think you can just go into a place, put a whole bunch of American culture in there, and they're going to become American. No, they're going to take that and they're going to make it their own because they are still their own people. There's no way you yeah. can just, which I think is something. Foreign policy still hasn't learned that yet. 
Oh no, and and it probably never will because no. natural human nature is to. I think human nature is generally to have the best intentions, but not not consider the ramifications. Yes, which is this and movie. Yeah. Be, well, so often the ramifications are unexpected. Yes. You know, I mean, how how could they know? Yeah. This, uh, or or whatever. It's it's just it's too complex a system <laughs> you know uh, especially and, and, when you consider societies and cultures down you know big picture stuff you know all the way down to individuals and individuals yes. are un un unpredictable so and, and yeah, i just don't want to say clear that i don't yeah I, I don't want to sort of say that i think saddam hussein's a good was a good guy he was no awful. no 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 no. he was no. a dictator he did genocide he was a whole shit ton of bad it's just i think when they went yeah we're gonna get rid of this really awful guy and you don't realize the ramifications of what's going to fill that vacuum. Yeah. What's going to fill that vacuum. So yeah. I think that. Well, and, and it also addresses the fact that uh, the Iraqi soldiers were given training by the Americans to fight the Iranians. Yes. Um, so, it, it, so that's another thing is like the, the whole Bush era, uh, I mean, uh, not Bush era, but uh, Reagan, Reagan era, yes. Reagan era, um, with fighting against the Ayatollah Khomeini, you have in Iran, you have in the Iraq, the I'm, I'm gonna, I'm saying the words wrong, I want to yes. say them correctly, Iraq and Iran, yeah. you know, fighting one another. Well, the Americans trained, it's like Rambo. Three, you know, you're, three. Training, yes. you're training your future enemy here, yeah, and and you Again, know, then, something and then American calling policy. them even an enemy is tough because you know you are presented with this character who is very human, you know, representation of the of the Iraqi soldier, yeah, and then of course you know you have the guys the the refugees that you know, I just want to cut hair, yeah. I yeah, love those just, guys. I, Cliff, okay, Cliff Curtis is a New Zealander, and for a good first part of his international career, he played people from the Middle East. Oh, damn. Um, okay. Um, yeah. It happened again and again. <laughs> it was like... Well, look just, at Boris Karloff's early career. Exactly. I mean, he, he was... He was uh, he, he kept this a secret during his lifetime, but he was uh, 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 Anglo-Indian. So he often played Middle Eastern characters. Middle Eastern played, or Eastern or European Native Americans. Yeah, yeah, Native Americans. Uh, yeah. So because he had a dark complexion because yeah. he was, you know, from Indian heritage. So uh, it was. Exact same um, thing with, with Cuff, but he is yeah. really good in this movie because yeah. I couldn't remember who exactly who he played. But he's literally just a dude who wanted to open his own business with his family and then his wife gets shot in front of him. And little baby, um, oh, I can't remember her name. I didn't write it down, and I never can say her name. Um, just trying to get through the goddamn day, and they've been caught up in this mess. Yeah. And he's he is yeah. the human face of he is essentially the human face of the of the Iraqi people who have just mm -hmm. been caught up in this mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, really, you're the ones who are suffering the consequences. Um, who are suffering the consequences of of this? It, he is really good. I mean, Cliff Curtis is a really good actor. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, everyone's really good in this. So he plays kind of like the main uh, sort of rebel, 
that yes. helps him out? Is that okay? I'm yeah. just making sure I'm thinking the right person. Yeah. 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 He's terrific in this. Yeah. He's, I'm, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Everyone's really good in this. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. what do you, I mean, let's talk about the sort of the reporters element. One, we get some Judy Greer, which I'm always uh, for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but these poor reporters who are trying to report on something that major is happening, but they're not allowed to because no one is allowed. The American government is not going to let Vietnam happen again. So they're pretty much being taken around to these places where they're not seeing anything. Um, And you do have, oh, did I write down her name? Because she's very good. Um, Because she kind of knows that she's being kept away from from things. Um, But that is kind of, I mean, yeah, the first Iraq war was called the media war, wasn't it? From memory. Um, Because it was on Uh, CNN Live and... You saw bombs right, dropping and right. all that kind of thing, but you just never saw what yeah. happened to the actual people. You didn't see the boots on the ground no. stuff going on. You you saw there was the famous footage, and this is actually footage that's shown in uh, uh, in Lessons of Darkness, the Herzog movie hmm. I mentioned. They show the uh, is basically night vision film yeah. of the of the air raid, just these missiles and bombs hmm. going off above the city, and it's. Um, and it was just that shot shown over and over, it felt like. Yeah. It uh, was like, look, we're winning this war. We're doing the right thing. Don't look too closely because we don't want another Vietnam situation where you actually had reporters on the ground looking mm-hmm. at things that happened. You had the famous um, napalm shot with a little girl running down the street. Um, you sort of saw what war was actually like. And it's yeah. awful. Like, it's... Yeah, it's, of course. Yeah. So, it... And I love the reporters sort of on the edges just swearing at people because they know they they know they're like, yeah, do a story on these. They're like, this is fucking nothing. What do what, you what, I don't want to do a story on that. And of course, it's yeah, it just seems like a big chaotic mess where no one knew what was happening. And yeah, it's up to Bubba. Sorry, I, I know he has a name, but I'm looking at him going, oh man, you got typecast as army guy. Bubba and the guy oh, from... Oh, yeah, uh, McKelty Williams. McKelty yeah. Williams yeah. and the guy from yeah. uh, Mine Hunters just trying to keep some sort of semblance of authority and just... Sure. Losing Williamson. that battle constantly. I'm sorry, yes. I said his... I, Williamson, I said yeah. his name wrong. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're really... Everyone's Absolutely. really good. It's just like a feast everyone's of character really actors. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things, too, is to have a cast this large in a, in a movie... Um, that is not a big, you know, yeah, um, tentpole feature, you know, is is um, something we don't see as much anymore either. Well, yeah, that was uh, 99. So. I mean, the biggest tentpole, I could be wrong. I could be thinking of something else that I probably saw, but the biggest tentpole movie I can remember was The Matrix. The Matrix and The Mummy. I and think The Mummy. Were the biggest, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The Those... Mummy's probably more traditional in a way, but The mm-hmm. Matrix, I mean, I had mm-hmm. someone... The Matrix to... was a brand new thing. Yeah. Uh, is the thing, whereas... Uh, the, and you look at, you know, the great films of 99, it wasn't a bunch of IP. It was... A lot of it was first movies that exactly. were kind of kind of revolutionary it was a movies, lot of you know. Very early filmmakers making their second or third movie. And yeah, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson making his third movie, and yes. he managed to make my favorite movie of all time currently. Then, then yes, yeah. um, <laughs> David Fincher came out with nine, something in '99. It was yeah, the game. the game, the game, yes. And then, uh, and then, uh, American Beauty was uh, James oh. Bond director. 
Sam Mendes. Mendes. Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes. Yeah. That's his debut film. Yes. It's. Um, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend try to explain <laughs> The Matrix to me once and she couldn't do it. She just sort of yeah. kept talking about FPOS machines or like you, when you like pay with a credit card on the thing. That's all she could tell me. I'm like, that makes no sense. What do you mean? Like a credit card machine or what we call FPOS machine? She's like, yeah, it's kind of like that. It like travels through. I'm like, what are you talking And then I watched The Matrix and went, oh, this has nothing to do with what she was saying. She just didn't have the language to actually <laughs> tell me what the, what the Matrix was about. <laughs> The the matrix is is hard to explain. It's uh, especially in ninety nine. see in ninety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what now, I mean. In ninety nine, you just kind of have to see it. We we get it, but uh, in ninety nine, yeah. you could not explain what the matrix was. I mean, no. the mummy was the closest to IP, but that was from the nineteen thirties and forties. Yeah, everything was new. Everything was fresh. It was the promise of this amazing thing, which I don't think was brought to it because I think we left. 90s was an auteur period and we left that um yeah so yep. yeah the auteur period well, it was just, are, are again short. it was it was where we start yeah i know where uh, i mean you think about it, 99 sort of felt like 39 it was sort of like the yes. culmination of the system as we knew it mm. you know um and then something else comes along uh the 70s was uh the the uh movie brats period so it was sort of like the culmination of this wake that happened after the studio system fell you had this groundswell of all these great auteurs and yeah i i think you know the 70s is i mean come on it's the 70s it's the 70s um, yeah and, uh, and then the 90s was kind of that again it was it the, was the indie mm -hmm. kids it was like all these yeah. guys who just yeah. watched all the movies in the 70s picked up a camera and started making these movies uh you know mm -hmm. quentin Tarantino, kevin smith paul thomas anderson Link later, all these guys, that 99 was the culmination of that. 99 is the last year I can remember having a year of that energy of just like, oh, something's happening. There's a movement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you also had, uh, you know, something like, like Boys Don't Cry, which I thought yes. was, uh, you know, uh, first of all, it was a, it was pretty, it got a lot of notoriety because it was, um, well, directed by a woman, an LGBTQ story. It was trans, um, about a trans character, which you did not yeah, get a lot mm -hmm. of in that era. No, still, well, <laughs> still don't. Still um, don't. But to have that powerful sort of story yeah, about it, and yeah, yeah, and you know, Roger Ebert just kind of praising it up and down helped, I think, too. It did. Um, but uh, you know, so yeah, ninety nine was was that year where I was I was in it was almost my last year of college and it was just sort of um i could feel it in the air somehow um it was and it's not like it's not like school. the whole yeah it's not and like I the whole year was yeah. great but no i was, mean uh, but i saw a lot in that look, year in the wild world and west I, came out in 99 like sure, sure. <laughs> and I, but but I, what i gotta say though i did start seeing movies that were not as um not the big movies then that's when yeah. i started seeing movies that people didn't like like i went and saw when i saw magnolia i i went and saw it two more times in a row i saw it the next two nights as well and yeah. that's a long fucking movie. that's because that's a three-hour movie that's like yeah yeah and and so but there was something about it that really touched me and i would i would tell people i just loved magnolia hmm. and they would see it, it's like i hated that i did hmm. not like that at all and i and it was just like huh 
well, I guess I have different taste. And I, I was starting to realize sort of the... It wasn't until, you know, Twitter came along years later, you know, and I got connected there. It was like, oh, there are other people that like this kind of stuff, too, because because there, there are so few people that would would say, oh, yeah, let's watch something that's like this. That's yes. a, that's a cinephile movie, you know, um, but I. I had I, I I was lucky enough to meet a few people at other times of life who would say who would uh, say hey let's go watch Seven Samurai but yeah. not very many not very many no th- those people especially and few far between yeah. in your daily life most people yeah. are like what Seven Samurai I'm like <laughs> the greatest movie ever just made the greatest likely, movie ever made you know? even I just recently yeah. saw that like the, for the first time very recently I'm like oh yeah. This is the greatest movie ever made. Like, (laughs) I can't deny it. (laughs) The thing is, I'd seen it several times and then I watched it for our show because we did a remake episode where we watched that and and uh, the Magnificent Seven remake. The one you did a remake of a. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. I remember that episode. You did a remake of a remake. (laughs) Yeah. And so that was kind of fun to do Mm. to do that. And then so we watched. uh, But I was watching Seventh Samurai and for the first time and I had seen it many times, but I was Mm. just so overwhelmed by it that I kind of couldn't take it all in at once. No, you can't. Because it was just like this is the levels of brilliance that are happening on screen right now are unparalleled and so anyway yeah. it, and yeah. i don't think that three kings is unparalleled mastery but no. there's something about it that really i think is effective and i think um deserves another look uh especially as you know in light of things that have changed and continue to change um right. with various forms of foreign policy and I, I don't think it's just american foreign policy no, it's just I sort of it's like all. western foreign policy yes versus i was gonna say australia is usually middle been there eastern beside, yeah 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 versus middle eastern and and you know eastern um foreign policy i mean i think that there's there's different there are things to look at from multiple sides of of this story and it's a story that's still going on it's a thing oh yeah um so. It's, it's a movie that is aged opposed to something like Rambo three, which is not aged well. Right. Um, but it has aged really well because it is questioning. It's it's you're right. It's just critiquing. It's sort of asking questions about American foreign policy. And if they real, if they are going in with good um, intentions. Um, so when it comes to Donald Rumsfeld and um, sure. Cheney, I don't always put that on them. I'm like, but um I'm sort of saying if they go, if generally everyone else is going in with good intentions of saying, yeah, we're going to help these people, but the only way mm-hmm. they can help them is by trying is doing. It and I don't think heart. all the intentions behind it are good either. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I, so I, I kind of misspoke that, but, yeah. but I think, I think generally, you know, when you're talking about like the soldiers, the, the soldiers on yes. the ground. Yeah. Yeah. They, I don't think they necessarily have, have, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But you they're know, going they're, into a situation where they're not, they don't know enough. I mean, I love, right. I haven't mentioned Ice Cube's performance. I really like his performance. I think he's oh, the great. quiet one. And, but I think he's just watching it going, what the hell did we do? Is it even, because mm-hmm. I love how the process of, they keep buying things. Like, they're like, mm-hmm. okay, we need this. Okay, we'll just buy it. Like, it's not even, yeah. they just buy the, uh, when I was reading reviews, I went back and read reviews from the time and now, and everyone compares it to uh, the treasure of Sandra Madre. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, I, Sierra Madre. Uh, I have seen this movie twice. I I, I think it's very yeah, very good. 
that's I, one I considered to yeah, be a trailer, but um, I was like, it's too obvious. I even <laughs> considered it as a pairing with Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, yeah, but watching too. it, I think it's very similar to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. They even do a trio of, um, now he does it all a bit differently because he's actually sliding the camera to make it that surreal look when he's going to each of the people and are yeah. they going to shoot? And it's much more of a chaotic situation, not like in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where it's like, who are they going to shoot to get the rock? It's right. um, much more of a who's going to shoot first, who am I going to shoot, am I going to survive this? And yeah. I loved it. And it does have that kind of spaghetti western feel, not just because it's shot in a place that's opposite to where it is taking place. Sure. But it's kind of got this kind of feel of a spaghetti western that it is kind of messy. It's gra- it's grubby. It maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily Leone spaghetti westerns, even though he no, I wouldn't. It. It's, it doesn't but, doesn't give me a Leone feel. No, but um, it gives me a slight spaghetti western feel of everyone's coming sure. out for themselves. These mm-hmm. are very kind of flawed characters, yeah. um, but it's got that. But then it, it changes because this is also a metaphor of the three kings, the three wise men who lead. Sure. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of um, and considering it's all in the Middle East, it 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 really really fits. Um, but I yeah, I, I love the fact that this movie has aged so well because it's still asking these questions that we're still having to ask about yeah. Western involvement in the Middle East. Yeah. One, should we be there? What is the overall intentions? Can we actually make things better or are we just constantly just making things worse? It's sure. Yeah. And I love how it just like poses those questions and you're like going, No idea. Yeah. Hmm. And then yeah, I love you know, Ice Cube is also interesting because you know he talks about you know the ring of jesus fire that guides his decisions yes which is you know it's a little bit of a examination of the i mean he evolves around that in different ways that are fascinating i don't think he um you know it's sort of like you know with the whole with god on our side idea you know god's on our side you know i think is it comes into question it makes it it, it, and it questions it in a really fascinating way. I think that's uh, uh, one of the things I like about it as well. And it's, and at first it's kind of funny. I got a ring of Jesus fire, you know, but, but, but then, but then, you know, at the end it's really profound because um, while Spike Jones character is dying, he's asking about the ring of Jesus fire and, you know, and says, "Yeah, it's right here with us." You know, and, and and that's it's really powerful. It's really moving. Um, I think the way that is played out, and Ice Cube, I think, is one of those actors that, um, he's he's really good. I mean, he's really really strong actor, and yeah. he's um, I I can't think of a performance that I've seen him give that I thought was not great. Everything is everything I've seen him in. I think he's a really, yeah, everything he's in is really great. He's got still that 90s energy that he had. I think he's a very great comic actor, which is why I think he tends to lean toward those roles now. Um, sure. I will forever love him in 21 Jump Street. Um, sure. Korean Jesus does not have time for your shit. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, starting out, you know, in, in Boys in the Hood. Yes. I mean, he's He's terrific in Boys in the Hood. Uh, and then, you know, Friday and yeah. <laughs> uh, this. I think he's he's just it's terrific he's, really he's, terrific actor. he's really terrific and i think he's really good in this and 
every all three of them or four of them, I should say, because really complement each other so so much, and they can. And I think Jamie Kennedy's pretty good in his little role too. Yes, I was watching going, oh shit, forget how good he is because (laughs) because he's such he's went on to play such a you know have sort of this doofus persona, and he's kind of playing that character here, but it but it's still it's different. Can I have my pants? My pants. I need my pants. But but it's different than, you know, the Jamie Kennedy experiment or some of that stuff where he's just kind of became sort of unlikable, just, yeah. I guess. Uh, you know, people got a little – people – there's been a lot of, you know, like J- Jamie Kennedy backlash even for Scream, which I don't entirely understand. Um, Look, as I, much I, as I, you don't like the Randy character and a lot of inappropriateness with Randy – We've all got a little Randy in us. I just that, exactly ooh, that's what yeah. I that's what I that, think that, people don't want to admit. Exactly, that, they're not the know. best parts. Of, they're not the best parts of us, but yeah. it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people are like, oh, I, I like Kirby. I want to be yeah. like Kirby. It's like, well, yeah. well, you're not. You're more like Randy. Let's face. You're more it. like everyone. You love. You, you never. <laughs> I'm be more Kirby. like Randy. I'm, more, I'm Randy. way more. I'm way more like Randy than I am. I like know Kirby I'm way more Randy. I, than I, Kirby. Am, I am not that cool to be Kirby. Let's be honest. Sean Williamson anyway. again knew what he was doing when he wrote Randy. We're all Randy, okay? We all want to be yeah. Kirby. We just n- more Randy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, it goes, it goes, it goes to show people loved him as a character yeah. when in the first two movies, he when was, he was killed, the I, mourning that went on in the horror community was how immense. dare they kill Randy? Yeah, it and, was. And they made then, a mistake. That's yeah. an amazing. That is an that is one of the best death scenes in in the whole franchise. Though Randy's oh, death yeah. is yeah kicks so much ass. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Three Kings before? I I don't think I think I think I feel like I've got everything that I wanted to say. I mean, yeah. there's some great lines. You know, like there's a document in that guy's ass. Yes. <laughs> I didn't join the army to pull paper out of people's asses. Oh, the whole uh, meth ass. Oh, it's over in his meth ass. <laughs> And oh, uh, one one of the things, uh, um, um, the needle drops, you know, are sort of like these iconic American songs. You know, I just want to celebrate. And mm. God bless the USA, and I get around. Yeah, um, yes, that one reminded me very much of Good Morning Vic because that song plays in a lot of yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So anyway, I I think this movie is worth uh, a look for people mm. who haven't seen it in a while, because um, I think. I know there's a certain amount of separating the artist from the artist mm. that you got to do with it. Um, but I think there are varying degrees to where that's possible. Yes. You know? um, they're like, I can't, I personally will not watch the Jeepers Creepers movies. Oh no, I but, will not go near them. Yeah. So that's sort of a, that's a line that's beyond where I can mm. go, but, but David O. Russell being an asshole, I can I can watch his movie and and I can watch this movie, yeah, yeah, especially (laughs) since George Clooney kicked his ass. So yes, that's my so so it makes it okay. Yeah, George Clooney (laughs) kicked his ass, so it makes it okay. You atoned for the movie, atoned for the movie. Um, Because George Clooney always going to be the best. I mean, he even married a woman that was out of his league. I just that I love that so much. Clooney, I think, is also he just comes across as just one of the most likable people, and he, he still does. does. He does. Even, in a, even Ticket to Paradise, we watched that with him and Julia Roberts. It's kind of a shitty movie, but, but he's a, him and Julia Roberts in that playing book, uh, playing bear pong is actually kind of great. Like that is it's, the one scene. Yeah. That, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, just being like super I, charming. I just, I'm just charmed to death by, yeah. and and honestly, by both of them. Yeah. In that, yeah. I mean, but but George Clooney just comes across in everything he's in, good, bad, or ugly, <laughs> yeah. um, as as just as just completely engaging, and uh, you know, I just want to watch him. Exactly. That is, yeah. and that is in this movie. You just watch him, and he's just got such an authority about him that you're like, yes, George Clooney. Yeah. I, yes, yes, I believe everything. And this was a different kind of thing for him too, because yeah. I mean, it was uh, he had been. Like you said, you mentioned some of the other ones he'd been in before this, you know, Batman or Robin. Yeah. Uh, things like that. He was but, still um, trying to find his movie star persona. And I think yeah. this and Out of Sight, I think, are the ones where he yeah. went, oh, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he did. I mean, for the I, rest of his and, career. and they weren't, and he's managed, he, he, he's managed to pull out a really successful and long lasting career, essentially playing, um, in lots of really interesting movies. He's not had to do a lot of, I mean, he did his superhero role right at the beginning, which sort of gave him the cachet, even though it was not a well-received movie. Yeah. Still well, made money. And he, made was money. Still, and, and, he, and he was still able to, he was sort of able to ride that wave. And he's still able to be able to step back and go, Oh, I don't want to do that. Okay. Steven Soderbergh. Okay. David or Russell, what have you got for me? And yeah. I think, that's the kind of um thing that he gravitated to and that i mean that's yep. i don't know if he no he didn't learn from david or russell but i think he learned from the coen brothers and steven yep. soderbergh on how to direct uh -huh. yeah and actually, his movies as a director are terrific yeah pretty I, good. I, I don't I love think, every single uh, one of them but for the most part they are very I, good the ones i can think of, i mean his first two oh. uh confessions of a dangerous mind so good i i think i love that yeah. uh then good good night and good luck how far away from Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is Good Night and Good Luck? Yeah, uh, you know, and and both are just really, really good movies. And yeah. um, I, I, Leatherheads is what it is. I mean, it's fine. Uh, I haven't, I can't remember what else off the top of my head, but I think he, um, I don't know. He's there's a there's something about him as a as an actor and filmmaker. That, I mean, he's a he's a he's a true movie star. I think he is at this he really point is. and people, yeah. people say, Oh, so-and-so was the last real movie star, you know, it was Steve McQueen or it was Paul no, George, Newman. Or, George Clooney is absolutely. Honestly, I think, I think Tom Hanks is, is a movie yes. star. I think Tom Cruise is a real movie star. I yep. think George Clooney or they're real. Uh, Julia Roberts, they're, they're yes. real, they're real movie stars. Robert Downey Jr. I yeah. mean, I think those, those guys, they're, they're real movie stars. Though, Come on. quick complaint, which I'll probably do when I do my Oppenheimer yeah. episode tomorrow. Seriously, you say, oh, I've never seen Robert Downey Jr. give a performance at Oppenheimer. Oh, you're just thinking of Iron Man and and past. You're not even thinking about his career beforehand. Like, come on, guys. I oh, remember yeah, that yeah. short. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, that's, he's, uh, he's uh, been, he's done a lot of great work yeah. throughout his career. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, Though I think uh, I think he sort of gave what he did in Oppenheimer is it's almost a role that I think of James Spader playing. <laughs> it know? kind of is. <laughs> I, I, but oh my god, but he's James really Spader. good in it. He's really good, but now I want yeah. James Spader in that role. <laughs> that would have yeah. been. 
I think it. I think it also probably would have given it away that he's kind of, kind of a, the bad guy. Of yeah, the I think movie, it does. Though. Yeah, I think if you saw James Spader going, "Oh no, we were uh, friends," I'm like, "No, spoiler, you spoiler, spoiler alert for Oppenheimer." Well, technically, it's history. <laughs> it okay, there, there you go. All that stuff I, 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 I didn't. I, I was. I genuinely was surprised by Oppenheimer. I, yeah. I didn't know. I did. I went in not knowing really much of anything. So I, I didn't know about Louis like, Joss, and then I read up afterward and like, "Oh, this all actually happens." generally yeah. the way the movie said it did okay yeah mostly yeah. um yeah. but with that we're going to go into a true masterpiece it may not be my favorite uh leone but goddamn you cannot deny <sighs> good the bad and the ugly brian what is going to be your first trailer for the good the bad and the ugly well i purposefully chose movies that were not westerns <laughs> yep I was trying to do the same thing. It was difficult. Yeah. And I also, I so I kind of went with imagery. Um, one of the big, the there are three big images in this movie. I think they are the gold, the gun, and the noose. Very much the noose. Yeah. So my first trailer is going to be uh, um, from Mark Robeson, 1943. Um Produced by Val Luton, the seventh victim. Yes. <laughs> Reason about Robson, I'm like seventh victim, seventh victim. I run to death, and death meets me as fast. And all my pleasures are like yesterday. I have a most painful matter to discuss with you, baby. an evocative piece of amazingness. I love the fact that it is about um, Satanists who mm. order cocktails in New York. Um, yeah. It's a it very, is. it's a very surprising uh, kind of depiction of the Satanists because they're not just it's, like evil hand ringers and casting spells and crap. They're, yeah, they're, it's it's, very they're, they're pacifists. Yeah. It's very they're, Rosemary's baby in a way. You could imagine Ruth yeah. Gordon hanging out with these guys. Like, yeah, it's they're They're sophisticates. They're, yeah. they're intelligent. They're upper crust. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, element. Um but the noose, uh, I mean, yes. that's that's sort of that central image of the movie where she's locked in a room for who knows how long with just a noose in a chair. Because they want um, her to, to yes. kill herself. Mm. I mean, it's just like, gosh. It's like that image in The Thing where you see um, oh, oh, yeah. Walter Brimley goes, oh, I'm okay uh, now. Yeah. You can let me out. And you just see the noose in the background. It's like, oh, I know. dude, what happened in that room? That's that's a great <laughs> great moment. Um, yeah. But uh, one of the things that I, uh, full disclosure, I just wrote a piece on this yeah. oh, <laughs> movie. Cool. So yeah. so which is probably why it 
kind of came foremost to mind. Yeah. Um, but I talk about, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's a movie about mental illness. It's a, it's sort of externalizes an internal struggle. I think that scene where, uh, she is with the Paladis, uh, which is the name of the cult. And, mm. um, they have a, poison goblet in front of her and they say just drink and she says no mm. you know drink and it'll all be over it's like voices in her head yeah except they're outside and she's just saying no to them over and over and over again it's an amazing movie it's probably the uh it's one of the more overlooked uh Val it's Luton films. It's only because it's the hardest movie to find. I know I it own does two. Does not have a Blu-ray yet. I own uh, two DVDs because, and the same with over here because I forgot that I owned it and then bought another DVD off eBay. So it is. It's overlooked because it's harder to find. I would say. I think it's the only one. Besides, yeah. I think it and Bedlam don't yeah. have a Blu-ray yet. Man, Bedlam is Bedlam's kind of forgettable. It's okay. Bedlam's fine. Um, like I but, wouldn't. But, yeah, but I mean, of the the nine movies, I mean, I think uh, all of them have either a Criterion or a Warner release. Yeah. And, of course, one might have been Scream Factory. One or two might have been Scream Factory. But, oh, because I think Scream Factory did uh, Zombie. Uh, yeah. They, zombie or something I think they like did that. a double, double feature, something like that. I can't yeah. remember which one. But um, so, so they're all out there except for a seventh victim and bedlam even ghost ship which wasn't even released uh back in the day uh you know doesn't blu-ray yet um but uh the seventh victim is is kind of a masterpiece i mean it's really quiet it's 71 minutes long yes. it's really efficient it's really um, effective and it's, it's deceptive yeah. because it looks like it's sort of like an okay noir mystery but it's you gotta really read for Luton, all Luton movies, you really got to read below the surface to really understand what's That's going what on. That's what I love about Luton because you sort of said it's like the internal struggle of mental illness in yeah. Seventh Victim. Um, but a lot of Luton movies. All of them are about mental illness. All of them are about mental of... illness. Um, <laughs> and a lot of them are about the internal struggles. I mean, Cat People yeah. is the best example of that. Mm -hmm. um, whether she's a panther or not is kind of beside the point. Um, yeah. I work with a zombie. Um, yeah. I think Even I think here's the, to a certain extent. It's just better. Yeah. To, yeah. There's a handful I haven't seen yet. I haven't mm. seen Ghost Ship and I haven't seen Isle of the Dead and I haven't seen. Uh, Isle of the, the OK. Man. Oh, Leopard Man's yeah. actually really cool. It's a little bit more yeah. of a literal thing of a leopard than cat people. Right. I think they said, right. oh, can you do cat people? But can you do it more like this? And he kind of with does a, with an actual leopard yeah. with an actual leopard. But yeah. it's still really, really good. Yeah. I got a yeah. feeling they went. You didn't get. You did not give us a lot of cat people, so we want a leopard. God damn it! Um, but... <laughs> well, I I uh, wrote a. Ex I've written three pieces, including the seventh victim uh, for Bloody Disgusting for my column. I wrote one on the body snatcher, which um, is a personal favorite because of Karloff. Uh, I think it's Karloff's so good. probably his best performance. Yeah. And that's hard to say because uh, Frankenstein is and uh, targets uh, yeah. do exist, but um, yeah. And then I wrote one on cat people, and uh, cat people I feel is about repression. Um, oh, it absolutely and, is, but it's yeah. about the ramifications that come with that. Yeah. So that's why I said whether she's a panther yeah. or not is kind of beside yeah. the point. Unlike the remake. Yeah. Which yeah, the remake is is different. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I think it's also all of them sort of deal with 
you know, they have these female leads and there's always this question, are they lesbians? Um, It's always in all of them, whether you want to agree, want to see it or not, it's there. I mean, one of the characters in this movie says that, uh, her, these two female characters were intimates you know yes. it doesn't take much reading to know what that means no and it I is mean... about and <laughs> you could do a reading of seven victim as as mental illness but also as the repression and the mental illness that comes from repression is that was she uh more identifying as queer and um mm-hmm. because she couldn't and then the fact that you have the satanists on top of that and this kind of yeah. a little bit more of what say certain people think of wealthy liberals and all that kind of thing i mean there's a lot going on it is a masterpiece i love yeah this movie i wish it had a blu-ray and so i wouldn't forget that i own the dvd and keep buying the dvd um but more simple curse, curse is more simple curse um right i think but i think it is i think it's an amazing amazing movie and if you can watch it please do because it is one of val luton's best and i think mark robson yeah. knocks it out of the park with with that one Okay, so for my trailer, I was trying to do the same thing. Okay, screw it. I think I have used this as a trailer before because I really enjoyed it because I do enjoy Enio Morricone's work, but I'm going to go for Enio 2021, the documentary made by Giuseppe Torrentoro. I cannot pronounce anything Italian. Was very new at the time and still today. He opens up the visuals. You hear his music, you know it is Ennio. Can't be anybody else. It's not just popular, it's an anthem. We always come out to that and we always leave to that. Deep, deep, deep emotion. which has really been hard because i've been talking about a lot of italian movies lately um right. this was a documentary all basically celebrating the man i mean this is a retrospective where they're going through each piece of his um, amazing catalog of work um there was an amazing line when he decided in the 1970s he didn't want to work in movies anymore uh, that never happened. It's just a really good look at his work. It's got a lot of, the trailer's going to have a lot of his scores. Um, the man was one of the best composers of the 20th century. It's, I kind of feel like I haven't been talking enough about his work in this series. So I'm using this as an opportunity to show, I mean, I kind of went into this thinking, oh yeah, um, I mean, Once Upon a Time in the West and For a Few More Dollars has my favorite scores. And then I'm listening mm-hmm. to Good, the Bad and the Ugly going, God damn it, the man was a genius. So yeah, and this is just such an iconic score. Yeah. Uh, probably his most recognizable yes. score. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, because it's more than yeah. one. I mean, it's got the main title that everybody knows, but then yeah. you also have the Ecstasy of Gold, which is in like beer commercials and stuff now. Exactly. Too. It's um, it, it's kind of what he's more known for. And he and was Tarantino. It's in Tarantino movies too. It's I in mean, Tarantino those... movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so people hear these things. Wah, wah, wah. I mean, he was already mm-hmm. kind of experimenting with these kind of sounds before he made it, but this yeah. was the movie he kind of collaborated with Leone before they started making the movie. He was often on set playing. He was kind yeah. of very much involved in how the, the movie was timed with the music. So it kind of 
fits perfectly in a lot of senses. Yeah. So they kind of built the things around his score for this, yeah. which is maybe, but it is so goddamn iconic. And so as soon as you hear that gunshot and the the whistle and the wah, wah, it's just like, yeah, I'm in the Spaghetti Western. Like yeah. there's a reason they kept copying the score for every goddamn Spaghetti Western they ever made. It's... They even bring in motifs from the yeah. clock in uh, for a few dollars more. I mean, it's kind of like yeah. a look what I've done kind of thing. And like he knows mm-hmm. he's no, he knows he's done good work with this movie. And just the use of using guitars, you know, yes. acoustic and electric guitars, and then sort of the vocal inflections of various types, um, just things that people weren't doing. I mean, yeah, I mean, you have like jazz scores you know yeah. james J- john barry you know with the yeah. james bond theme you know obviously used electric guitar in that as well but um the way that morricone uses and, and as a guitar player i'm just sort of like it really was like oh hey you know this is something yeah um but then you know then like once upon a time in the west i mean the utter lack of music in that opening scene where uh. the sound of the sound effects work as ma- as music exactly, and then is, but then you get those big yeah. building moments moments when Jill's walking into the town for the first time. You have that beautiful score of Jill's theme, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's and then just, and then harmonica and all of yes, those and the way the harmonica well. works into the oh my god, it's yeah, he's a goddamn genius, and yeah. I just wanted to acknowledge that he's a genius, um, as well as Sergio Leone. Um, it's yeah. just if you like. His music, you're gonna like this. It's got all the comp- I mean, John Williams, Hans Zimmer, everyone who's composed a movie in the last 20 years is in this documentary. Um, right. It's basically just going, yeah, he's really awesome, and he should have won to... more. And and the movie keeps harping on the fact that he should have won more Oscars, which is hilarious. It almost becomes a running joke. <laughs> well, I know, I know, and he kind of he kind of wins his Oscar for a movie that <laughs> he didn't. Re- oh. He he only, I mean, it's sort he, of it's it's derivative of stuff he had already written. Well, to be that fair, was, he did that a lot. You know, I mean, the documentary yeah. doesn't point that out, but he was yeah, yeah. a self plagiarizer from. Sure, but everyone yeah. is. I mean, people have said the same things about John Williams, <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and, it and that John Williams <laughs> not not only stole his own music but other people's, but. You know, hey, that's uh, the people point. People say things about that. You know, yeah. they listen to the theme, from, and I, all I say is listen to the theme from Star Wars, and then listen to the theme from a movie called King's Row, and s- see what you think. Okay. Um. So, and I love John Williams. Uh, John mm-hmm. Williams, I think, is one of I mean, he. It's sort of like Quentin Tarantino or Brian De Palma, where you take the stuff that's out there and you sort of filter it through Your an prison. individual. Yeah. Yeah, and it becomes something else. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, which is not the worst anyway. thing? Because yeah, we praise no, we praise no, 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 Tarantino no. and Brian De Palma for those exact things. Um, yeah, but and that- Tarantino, I, I wish he would just shut up, and I might <laughs> appreciate his uh, his work more lately. He takes far too much credit for some of the things that he oh, puts in his movies. He does. Uh, it's when, like he- when it's like you know you stole this line directly from Charlie Varick and you know it. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- I, I wish it's just like, I just want you to to quote him. I just want you to fucking acknowledge it. Yes. You know, that's it's a weird thing. It's like, he's, he still thinks he's the only person who's seen these movies. It's like, no, because right. of you, I sought out Charlie Varick. I sought out. Yeah, exactly. 
a Lady Snowblood. I seeked out all these movies. I know what your references are. It's okay. Yeah. Everyone it's has okay. references. I, yeah. Everyone does. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and so I I don't know. That's <laughs> that's my. I'm gonna step off this soapbox because I'm. There's no winner in this discussion. If I if I go down this track, I exactly. think. Exactly. Yeah. I think I think the Tarantino stands are as tough as the Snyder Bros. You know. So. Pretty much. Um, and I love Tarantino. I love yeah. love love uh, Tarantino's movies. So I'm. He's not... just a, he's an he's an obnoxious man. He always has been. Um... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to say it out loud. Okay. No, he he he's a genius filmmaker. He's just always been obnoxious. I mean that yeah, from yeah. Reservoir Dogs. Even before yeah. then, he would have been that annoying guy who worked in the goddamn video store. Um, what yeah, is I, I, yeah, I like uh, I like David Lynch's mentality. Tell me about your movie. No, <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, Cohen's are kind of the same way where yeah. they come up with some bullshit answer. So just why? <laughs> have you have you ever seen? Okay. The sidetrack real quick. Yeah. If you ever want to just be thoroughly entertained, uh, watch Blood Simple with the audio commentary from the fake history film historian. It's 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 hilarious. I mean it's like now you'll notice in their first movie, um, you can't see the camera in the mirrors. Now, this is a sign that they're gonna be good filmmakers. Uh it's 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 uh it's pretty hilarious. Oh my so, god, God bless the Carl yeah. brothers. Uh yeah. what is what is gonna be your second trailer for Good, the Bad and the Ugly? Okay, so the good, the bad, and the ugly. Speaking of sort of taking something and putting it through your own prism, um, there's a scene, uh, one of the great scenes uh in this film is where Tuco uh goes into the gun store. Oh yes, and, and yeah. sort of he builds his own gun and then he holds up the guy. Yeah. At the end of this whole why he gave him the bullets, I don't know, but we will get into it. Exactly. (laughs) Now, that is a scene that is derived from um, one of my favorite gangster movies uh, ever. Uh, Mm. 1931's The Public Enemy, starring James Cagney. (gasps) Yes! Directed by Wild Bill Wellman. All right, boys. But the Sullivan's going to referee. No, oh, get back. Oh, hey, don't mind about that bell. Get back. Go on. Get off the floor. Come on, Orphan. Now. Ow. Get going. All right? Yeah. Don't forget, according to rules now, you understand? Yeah. Turn Here we go. Wait for the whistle, stop. chump. Yeah. What's the matter with you? Don't wait your hand. Come in. Get in here. Play ball. Ready? Yeah. Position now. Here we go. Wait for the whistle. Yes, but don't you think it's a little bit like playing with dynamite? Why do you say that, Laurie? Look, Father. Just because you've got me seeing things straight now is no reason why I should wear blinders. I still remember what Rocky's kind is like. I don't know. Somehow I feel that Rocky could be straightened out. Brilliant film. Uh, still one of my, I, I think, I, I think it still holds up as a great uh, gangster picture. Uh, it's that early thirties rise and fall movie. It's sort of the 1931 one. something. 19, yeah. 1931. I personally, uh, I, even though uh, I, I think uh, little Caesar gets maybe a little bit more attention mm-hmm. uh, from that sand Scarface from that yeah. same era. I think uh, public enemy is the best of the three. I, now, this is the one where they've got the poor guy in the prohibition kind of thing who's pouring beer, and then, then, then the gang will come and destroy his stock, make him buy a beer, and then the next gang will come in and do the same thing. So he's just exactly. basically, yeah, that poor that poor um guy was just like spending so much yeah. money on. But there's a great scene where 
in this movie, James Cagney yes. walks into the gun store and he says, uh, so um, l- let me see. And he had, and says, can, can, can I try? And it's just through sheer force of his charm convinces the guy to give him a gun and bullets and then holds him up with the gun that is that he's quote unquote selling to him. This is, of course, brought back again in the Terminator. Yes, um, I was the, thinking of the yeah. Terminator when I was actually yeah. watching the scene. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that I mean speaking of another person who sort of takes ideas and um look the, uh, all the them we're just coming to the conclusion is the, uh, James Cameron. I mean it's, it's they thing. all do it. That's they all do they it. All do uh, it. Uh, yeah. uh Spielberg does it. Um there's mm-hmm. a, an amazing um in Bear Woman's again keeping Tom shot when he's looking yep. when he's at the prom and he's looking through the thing. I'm like Yep. Keeping Tom. Yep. Um, there's, I mean, Leone definitely does it. Like, yeah, he, uh, he worshiped John Ford. He worships, uh, you know, Kurosawa. The, um, he, um, yeah. And the, I mean, American, he was more, uh, he was more happy American that Western filmmakers. Yeah. He, he was happier that Kurosawa had seen his movie for a fistful of dollars. And then he, he was so happy that he had seen the movie that he wasn't actually that upset that he was suing it. <laughs> well, the thing is, Kurosawa, um, actually said you've made a very good movie but it's my but movie. it's my movie yeah and um he's right you know be, yeah and the thing is uh to me uh fistful of dollars is like a, a movie that shows a lot of promise it, yes it's, that's what we talked it, about in the episode it's it's a start of something yeah it looks uncertain in certain way in, yeah. in some ways you know it, it's not as confident oh is this movie film. This movie Who is, is like, by the way. <laughs> there is nothing in this movie that is at all feels like, oh, I don't know where to put the camera. Everything yeah. is so like exactly what he wants. Um Yeah. Um which uh, speaks to, anyway. Yes, which my final trailer, um, because this is about deconstructing mythology. I'm gonna go for a movie that built up the mythology. Howl West was one which was, of course, Henry Fonda, but also Henry Hathaway and George Marshall. Characterizing the men and women who conquered the wilderness, finding a new life in this immense human saga of the American West. James Stewart is the mountain man. Henry Fonda is the plainsman. Adventurers such as these first explored the land. Then came the settlers who traveled the waterways, like the Prescott family, Carl Malden and Agnes Moorhead, and their daughters, Carol Baker and Debbie Reynolds, who left the frontier for a gayer life. There were the good and the bad, river pirates like Walter Brennan, notorious desperados like Charlie Gant, portrayed by Eli Wallach, and Lee J. Cobb as the dauntless U.S. Marshal who tracked him down. There were the gamblers and the entertainers. Gregory Peck is Cleve Van Valen, lucky in cards and in love. There was Robert Preston as the wagon master who loved in vain. And Thelma Ritter, a friend in need. Sorry to bring up comic about book, book movie. 700 people in that movie. Right? I've people. never seen it, is, it. I have seen it once a long time ago. It is the Avengers of the Westerns. Like, it has oh, okay. everyone. Right. It has John Fo- It has John Wayne. It has... Um, uh, Jimmy Stewart, it has Gregory Peck, it has everyone, Lee Venkley, it has everyone who was in a Western is in that movie. And it is this big technology building different that mishmash. Yeah. That it's one's a, multiple directors too, yeah, right? They all did different scenes because yeah. it's like a history yeah. of the West. You start from the beginning yeah. and you end when the car, I think when the cars come in, I think that's when it ends. But it goes through the Civil War, it goes through yeah. different kind of battles. It's very manifest destiny, which I would say that mm-hmm. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is the opposite of. 
which is yeah, why I love his movies. Um, especially when we get into the handling of the Civil War. I have very vague memories of it, but I just remember it being very long and very yeah. glorious, if that makes sense. It's kind of sure. like one of those big, um, you know how uh, biblical epics were big in the 50s? Sure. It kind of has that kind of feel. To it's it. like that, except it's about the West. Yeah. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But John Ford uh, did have a hand in it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, interesting. Mm. Yeah, I I haven't seen it, and so I I don't really have much to say about it. But um, I've, it's one I've always been kind of curious about because it's like, what is this sort of, uh, uh, you know, all these great direct because is it like George Stevens and I various, think so. Like, yeah, I, I I, I'd have I've, to look I've, at. I've printed the main three, but I know a whole bunch of people were just. It's yeah. kind of like The Longest Day, which is the uh, same year, actually, 1962, where they kind of okay um, the D-Day landing, but they had multiple directors from different countries. Like they had the German guy doing the Germans, the French sure. guy doing the French, a British yeah. guy doing um, not directing um, oh, oh, famous alcoholic um, who's a friend of Virginia Newell for forgetting his name. Anyway, that actor um, coming in and just doing something and then walking out again, probably to, I don't know, do something else. Um, he was actually filming Cleopatra at the time. Um, oh, Richard Burton? Richard Burton. Um, okay. He comes in and goes, ah, they're all at the bottom of the ocean. And then he has one scene and then leaves. <laughs> it's just like, wait, what just happened? Uh, and I've seen The Longest Day. It's been a while, yeah. but I've seen The Longest Day. I watched it with my uh, my uncle-in-law who loves old war movies. And he's like, it's great, isn't it? I'm like, this is a weird movie. <laughs> I yeah, remember I liking it overall, but yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, I was watching war movies at the time. I think I'd seen the big red one and I was just like, I want to see something else uh, that sort mm -hmm. of deals with this, but nothing could stack up to the big red one. I'm sorry. No, nothing that can. That movie's brilliant. Yeah. It is a masterpiece. And um, yeah, whether it was reconstructed exactly as Fuller would have liked or not, uh, whatever. It's still great. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, yeah. well, this happened a few times with Leone, especially with the American cut of Once Upon a yeah. Time of the West. Which but... is the one I watched. Oh, uh, fascinating. Uh, uh, no, no. Yeah. I mean, uh, of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I didn't yeah. watch the extended version of this. I watched the, because a few years ago, they released an extended cut that that had not made it the scenes that were cut did not make it to America in oh, the first I think place, I so, the so they didn't even... The good. The bad. The ugly.
Yeah, two hours fifty eight minutes. That's the one I watched. Okay, because because there's a there's a couple of scenes where um, that were dubbed in the uh, another language early early, early 2000s. Oh, so 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 no, Clint I didn't Eastwood, watch that one. So Clint Eastwood and and Eli Wallach's voices are much older. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of cool. I mean, it, I, I don't. Have, I've I've seen that version several times, but I watched the sort of standard theatrical American release version. I think that's um, the one for, I watched. For the, yeah. For this, yeah. Um, I mean, they didn't butcher it as badly as Once Upon a Time in America, but there the thing. No, no, no. It's not. It's not that at all. Yeah. I mean, it's actually a couple of scenes that aren't really that necessary. Yeah. There's one where where like Tuco's getting his his uh, band back together. And they're only in one scene, really. Oh, is that the one in the Blondie cabin? Shoots him. Yeah. It's the one where he comes in with the chicken. Oh says, no, I did right, watch. I, 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 I. That, no, okay. that's the one I watched because I had the one with the okay. chicken, and that's a weird. It's a gorgeous looking scene, but I was just like, why is he holding a chicken? I don't understand. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay, so I, that was that, 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 one. that one's not in the American cut, and mm. it's not. It's not like super needed anyway. It's just all of us. You just assume that he gets some of his old banded buddies back together and, and yeah. goes to find Blondie, find Blondie. Is, is about what it comes down to. Uh, then there's another one uh, with Lee Van Cleef uh, later in the movie um, that's showing him, I think, meeting up with how he got into the Union Army. Um, uh, so, or, yeah. or how he infiltrates into the Union Army. Um, and that one maybe is a little more missed but you, you don't really need it i think yeah. the, i think the flow of the movie is really strong in this yeah. cut um so i'm i'm uh i'm fine with having watched this version also the gunshots seem a little bit more uh sonorous or something i don't know yeah, <laughs> a, a leone a... gunshot is amazing but yeah i just wanted to have something yeah. that was full-on manifest destiny versus Leo. yeah no so that's I just good went, that's I good went, yeah. yeah i just went for something full manifest um good so call. yeah good the bad and the ugly um now you were sort of saying when you what this was the leone that you clicked with first i mean you've, you've yeah. already said a couple of times for a few dollars more is probably the best yeah um but this is the one that you personally clicked with yeah well i watched these uh i obviously had heard about them forever uh i wasn't really into westerns we've after we saw back to the future three <laughs> my my uh mom kept saying we should go and see you know we should watch the good the bad and the ugly yeah um uh, i was like oh, okay even though the shots from that movie that he's referring to are actually fistful of dollars the uh Good, the bad, the ugly has been a name recognition to be. To it be does, honest. yeah, it does. And in this Zen, is the movie really... you think of. Most people think of when I when I say Sergio Leone. Yeah, well, and they used to show Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More all the time on TV. Yeah. And I was always like, eh, I, I, I don't know. I, I hmm. just didn't, I just wouldn't watch them for whatever reason. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. But hmm. um, but then uh, when I was first married, I was working uh, in a church uh, in the area. And one of the pastors there was like really into movies. Hmm. And we got to talking about, and I said, oh, I really like, I'm starting to branch out here and see other kinds of things. And um, we started talking about the Dollars Trilogy for some reason. And I said, I, oh, I've never seen any of those. And he says, oh, dude, you got to see those. And so, and I, and I said, well, I've been meaning to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he says, well, that's not even the best one. Mm. 
you know, and that's, and what, a full, that's out, what you know it's a film fan. Oh, that's not even the best one. It's not everyone knows. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. He didn't tell me which one was. And I, I thought that was interesting. So I was like, okay. So I went down and I rented um, them like one at a time. I didn't watch them all yeah. in one weekend, but I watched them pretty close together. Um, so I watched um, Fistful of Dollars and I thought it's fine. I, I like it. I get mm-hmm. it. I think. Um, then I watched for a few dollars more and then, but then, and, and I, I don't know if I was lost with it at the time, mm. um, but the good, the bad and the ugly really clicked. And I think I was, I was really into Tarantino at the time. Ah, okay. I was really into reading. I was reading Elmore Leonard too. And there yes. was something about the attitude of Tarantino and Elmore Leonard that connected with me in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Cause there's, that's, there's a lot of attitude. I think that attitude is, pre- I loved a lot of things that I, I remember for a few dollars more the first time, I think the stuff with um, the hats, you know, the, and all that stuff, there was some weird things that were just so weird. Like the, the gun that he, that he has that Lee Van Cleef has with the little thing. I was like, it was just kind of like, it was a little bit weird for me to yeah. wrap my hands around at that time um but then there was something about the good the bad and the ugly really a part of it is because tuco is such an engaging character and so funny i think that is that helps the movie a lot just to be accessible yeah um, this is this I, was my sort of question because yeah i was sort of what well, okay i'm not saying that this isn't a masterpiece um i but i am sort of saying i wonder why this is the Leone movie that people tend to watch first and gravitate toward first, and I think it is the Tuco character. Because, yeah, and yeah, because he's really the main character, and the he thing is. about Tuco is he's kind of an underdog. He's sort of, sort of a screw up. He's, he's, I think, a more of an audience surrogate, whereas um, Clint Eastwood's character in all three, you know, is very distant. There's yes. a lot of distance between you. He's very guarded, which is okay. I mean, I, I, I that's an iconic character, and that's the kind of role that Clint Eastwood is really, really good at. Yeah. Um. And so, and then Lee Van Cleef in this is, I like. I think he's really entertaining in the second one. I, I think he's. I, I love I, him in the second one. I think he's a. Yeah. He's kind of likable in this in the second one. Yeah. Whereas here, he's just straight up evil, and yeah. there's something about him his entrance and the way he um sort of descends upon this movie yes that i find really powerful and this was um i don't know there's something about especially the bad and the ugly i think that really what honestly threw me about this was wait a minute the the man with no name is not does not look like the man with no name at first. No, really yeah. threw me off. He, okay. So my dad tried to show me this when I was far too young. I might've been about 12. And I think yeah. it was the same thing. I think I might've been watching uh, Back to the Future 3 on TV. Sure. And it happened to be, oh, we should watch Good, the Bad and the Ugly. It's one of my dad's favorite movie. He's He loves mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood. And he, so he tried to show me this. Do not show a 12 year old no. Good, the Bad and the Ugly. It is slow. No, it, it, no, I agree. Well, one of the things that's funny is my daughter was sort of sitting in the room. I said, I got to watch The Good, The Man, The Ugly um, so you can hang out or not. I, it's yeah. going to be on. And, she, and so I was like, no, that's fine. And and so um, 
and she didn't sit and watch it. She was like playing a video game at the same time or something, but she kind of got it. She kind yeah. of caught the movie. So she's 13, 14. Oh, now. She, yeah. So it's not so, when I was that age. Cause I, no, she's 15. It God, yeah. why am I thinking? Oh my gosh. I'm so old. <laughs> that was a she's journey. Fif- <laughs> she's 15. She's oh my 15. gosh. And I'm, I'm feeling, I, 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 I'm, I guess I'm just kind of refusing to believe my children are the ages they are. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but she kind of got it. I think yeah. she kind of caught the movie. And so um, maybe 12 is a little young, but uh, not much after. I think you can really latch on to some of this. Uh, yeah, I think it's easy to because I watched this after watching a whole bunch. The only one I have to watch now is um, Duck Sucker, Ducky Sucker. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but Which I is, watching... I think, probably the least of them for a reason. Yeah. Uh, it's, we'll, it's okay. It's okay. We'll get me and Ryan will be getting into the Rod Steiger of it all. Um, but it is, yeah. it, that's the one thing I remember about it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, anyway, the fact that um, even five years ago, I thought that all the people just had like grime on their face and were not brown face. Um, so there's a lot about oh, my right, naivety. Right. Yeah. Um, and that it's just blatant with um, friggin' Rod Steiger. But I watched all these movies and there's a stillness, even Once Upon a Time in the West, there's a stillness to all of his movies. Yeah. A poise, I guess. Um and and I've been on a massive um Lee Van Cleef jag after watching um for a few dollars more just because I think oh, yeah. brilliant in that in, in that movie. Absolutely. So yeah. when I get to and I have watched it a couple of times and it's just something I've never clicked with. I'm like, oh no, I like his other ones. Once upon a time of the West, I completely get and that is longer and more poised and still than than this one. And I get to it and the first thing I get is Tuco, Eli, Eli Wallach, not just continuously moving. And I found it, I, I, throughout the movie, I got into it, but that for that first 40 minutes, I found it really jarring. And I think this is why this movie is more accessible, because you have the Eli Wallach character. After watching a whole bunch of Leone, where Charles Branson barely moves, um, even mm-hmm. um, uh, Jason Robards as kind of the Tuco character in right. Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. in the West, Mm-hmm. still very yeah. still and still very stoic um i think i found him very jarring and i yeah. think eli wallach is a great actor but you can tell he's the new school new york uh studio yes. actor studio actor mm-hmm. compared to um clint eastwood and lee von cleef who just sh- sh- showed up did what they were told and then you have this guy who comes in who's a very different acting style. I think it ultimately yeah. does work for the movie, yeah. but it took me ages to get on. Like, stop moving, stop moving, stop moving your eyes. Stop oh, really? Teaching. Stop it, stop it. I need you to be I, still. That, <laughs> I love that as sort of a counterpoint yeah, to yeah. the other two. By the end of it, I was there, but at the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a big Tuco problem, aren't I? <laughs> I think I was drawn into it from the very beginning. Um, yeah the first time I saw this um, because I don't, I don't know, uh, Eli Wallach, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of his movies. I've seen, obviously I've seen the seven uh, uh, magnificent seven, yeah. which he's, he's essentially playing proto Tuco in that movie. Um, but, and then uh, the Godfather part three are, are the ones that come to mind, but um, he's really good in a movie called baby doll, which is a, mm-hmm. um, uh, Tennessee Williams movie directed by the guy who did On the Waterfront, another Eli. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 
Elia Kazan. Elia yeah. Kazan, sorry. Bernie is really good in that. And that is such a New York actor Absolutely, coming yeah. in. Um, mm-hmm. Coming in and doing sort of the South because it's Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Um, but no, it, the, my favorite joke is uh, from the movie The Holiday, which is, I think it's Fancy Myers. Um, when yeah, yeah. I think it's um, uh, Kate Winslet walks out and goes, oh, to Jack Black, who's playing Ecstasy of Gold. Uh, oh, did you write that? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. That is a score by um, Ennio Morricone, and he does it in an Italian accent because he's Jack Black. <laughs> and, of course, Eli Wallach happens to be in that movie playing a, a adorable um, old man. Um, but I every so every time I think hear Ecstasy of Gold, I think of that scene, and it's yeah. freaking hilarious. That, that's my favorite part of that movie is the yeah. Kate Winslet, Jack Black stuff. Yes. I, I, I could – I was sort of like with the other – the pretty people i was like eh but it's, it's, <laughs> with I'm sort of these goofballs but... i oh just my God, sort the... of love them yeah me too yeah. it's just the way that um Jack I mean, I, says, I, I should say, <laughs> I, okay to me kate winslet is gorgeous so I, I, I did i didn't mean it to come across that i thought otherwise there hmm. and and um and Jack Black is sexy and chubby exactly i love that line i love, I love that line <laughs> like, we always we <laughs> my kids love well two of my kids i should say the ones with good movie taste uh love uh <laughs> love school of rock and so As they should. <laughs> yeah and they love jack black and yeah. so they're like because he's sexy and chubby, chubby. <laughs> every time so it's awesome <laughs> so um yeah but uh, sorry another digression so <laughs> you think <laughs> yeah i yeah um so you got into this movie straight away so as soon as yeah. i mean the coolest I, honestly credits, is... by the way i mean these movies oh yeah all leone's movies have the most amazing opening credits yeah this is the most fun i okay yeah oh it's, it's amazing just, yeah but as soon as as soon as he jumps through the window and it freeze frames is and says the ugly, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm in. So if yeah. they're going to set up the characters this way, and honestly, the good, the bad, and the ugly are such misnomers. Yes. They're all bad. It's they're the bad, awful. the bad, and the bad. But it's I mean, you could call of this. Bad. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I wrote, I wrote down, end, but yeah, gestures. I wrote down. Okay, Clint Eastwood as the good is ambiguous at best. He's a son of a bitch. His whole yeah. arc is from being a son of a bitch to a slightly lesser son of a bitch. That's his well, whole... Well, you're nothing but a dirty son of a... Yeah, <laughs> anyway, that's... You know what you are? Yeah. You then, I think that... Um, uh, Lee Van Cleef as Angel Eyes oh. is straight up evil he's a snake and he does it so well i mean oh gosh that first scene with him where he just oh so vicious and and that and that really grabbed me these three vignettes at the beginning uh, just set me up for just loving the movie because they're so they're so full of of that confidence of camera you know there's so little dialogue um I mean, you have, and and for the longest, it took me till this viewing. This is so stupid. This is how much uh, I'm I'm like hitting myself in the mm. head. It takes the reason why they show they you know that very first close up where it's just the guy's face uh, right up, yeah, just steps and they hold it there for so long. I love. Then that. they show the dog crossing the street. Then they show his face again. Why? 
you got to remember his face because he comes back later and tries to kill Tuco in the bathtub. And I never realized it was the same guy. No, I didn't Until this viewing. I was like, what the heck? And I, uh-huh. yeah, I was like, why is Tuco in the bathtub? That man does not wash. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. I love that scene, though. That's, that's it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good but, thing. Um, but the way that it sets up then with uh, there's no dialogue in that whole uh, hmm. part. And then Angel Eyes um, just coming at the door and it's shot from such a distance. And hmm. it makes this house look like it's wide open spaces. Uh, it's just incredible. It and they're me sitting down, they're just staring uh, at each other while they're eating. It and- reminded me of that scene in Inglorious Bastards. It's one of my favorite scenes ever. And I'm re-watching Good, the Bad, and the Ugly went, oh, so this is the movie where Tarantino just lifted everything and just went. Wait. Oh, totally. Um, well, Tarantino's and... called this the best directed movie ever made. It's kind of there. I mean, you got to remember yeah. he made Fistful of Dollars, nineteen sixty four. He had only he'd worked on movies. He'd only I think mostly directed a Sand and Sandals movie called Costas of Rose, which I still need to sure. see. And by yeah. night, two years later, nineteen sixty six, he's making The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That is a hell of a jump. Like he's made, yeah. I, I still think, I think. Um, well, I mean, I honestly think that the leap from fistful to a few dollars more is a huge. That's what I was about leap. to say. Yeah. It's a same yeah. leap from um, yeah. fistful to a few dollars. Fuck me. Like it just the confidence. And then you get that guy who just slides into frame and you're like, oh, dude. And then you get the angel I seen that is what he lifted for Inglorious Bastards with Hans Lander, yeah. um, a scene I love, but watching this and just leave on Cleve has the perfect evil eyes. Like he's. Oh, he I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like when he's, when he's in there. When, in the mess of um, pipe and he's talking, can we talk? Yeah. English? He's, he's the, the very little, first scene. Yeah. Yeah. I thought exactly the same thing, except the, the difference is instead of having this silent character, you have this chatterbox. Yeah. And it's, it's just kind of this, um, uh yeah i i thought the same thing but yeah. the way he builds that tension and then the same mm-hmm. way he does it in um django unchained yeah. when um uh christoph waltz again shoots leonardo dicaprio but it's this long drawn out scene like sure. to the point where you're almost can't take it anymore well, especially the well, and, yeah then of course the very end you know, with Samuel L. Jackson, Django, you know what you are. You're nothing yeah. but a no dirty <laughs> son of a. And then it's an explosion instead yes. of the the, the, score. the, gun, the, the score. But it yeah. is. um Yeah, I just went, oh, this is ground zero for Quentin Tarantino. I get it. OK, this all makes sense yeah. now. This is this is it. Because I still yeah. favorite joke in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is when he's talking about Sergio Capucci and he always refers to him as the second best maker of Italian Westerns. Um, I was the only one in the theater that cackled because I got that joke I knew you were referring to. Um, But it is, this is it. And there's so many scenes of way Leone just dragged. He makes you sit in these moments. Now, Quentin Tarantino will fill them with dialogue. His characters are chatterboxes. Lee Van Cleef almost says nothing. He just wants to establish who he is, who the guy he's searching after, his name. And then he just shoots Everyone in the Everyone. house, except, except for that little boy. That one, I don't think he, the the kid dies. The young no, kid. he doesn't. And there's just yeah. this great is... little. There's this great, um, you know, his the introduction of this is, mm. um, you know, the kid riding the mule around the well, you know, and ducking under the cross beam yes. every time. I, I mean, just and he sees this man in the distance, and 
the horse is like a high stepper and everything yeah. is very it's there's there's these details in that introduction of each character that um is really effective i mean you don't need the title card that says he's the bad you just oh. know it just when she walks up sees her husband yeah. dead he sees yeah. her he just shoots her the kid comes down with the gun the older kid because mm-hmm. establishes a photo i mean yeah. Just the way he's able to put these little surreal moments about the horse being a high stepper is such a weird detail. Yeah. But it kind of suits that this guy would have a horse like there, that. There's and, a there's a there's a class to him. Yes. Uh a weird elegance to him, even though he is cold and evil. And when yeah. he just goes in and, and shoots the guy in the face for no reason through the pillow. Oh, oh, it's, it's it, there's a, a lot in he's this. on that death's door as it yeah. is. I mean, yeah. it is, um, it's kind of incredible now because this is a long movie and I did watch it in two parts just because of time. Um, mm-hmm. when we meet Blondie, it's him coming into contact with Eli Wallach, isn't it? Because they have yeah. that whole. Yeah, it's it's oh. a, it's the longest sort of vignette because yeah. I mean, it, you go you establishes the whole thing about this <laughs> this arrangement they have where they take him in for the bounty. You know, he gets hanged, um, and he shoot and Blondie shoots him down, yeah. and, and they go and then they do it a second time, and this time and this time it sort of goes bad. Yes, and and there's that great line, one of my favorite lines uh, in all of movies, such ingratitude after all the times I've saved your life. <laughs> Is I don't know. It just sets up that he's the good. Well, and you know that's kind of a misnomer right from the start. It is, um, and I just mean, the way they're constantly shifting allegiances, and you know, it's like now I'm with Angel Eyes, now I'm with Tuco, now I'm with Blondie, now I'm you know whatever. It's a constant game of chicken they're playing, and it gets yeah. closer and closer to you get to the final famous shootout for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but they're constantly playing chicken with each other, and it's amazing. And it's over this. Oh, I mean, I love the fact when um, Tuco suddenly realizes that he needs to actually save Blondie after he's been slowly killing him. Again, hateful eight reference. I'm just going to be right. saying that a lot. Just when <laughs> just picks up this movie and just goes, "Oh, I'm putting it over here." Um, yeah. And he's dragging him on the desert. Then he finds out that he knows the grave, so he can't. So he goes, "Oh no, I need to save you." It's kind of and then when he pretends to be um, the guy who died in the um, Confederate ambulance, um, right. so he takes on his persona, which of course Angel Eyes thinks it's him, and that whole dinner conversation is amazing. Of oh, Angel Eyes pretending to be an old friend of his. So I was like, wait, right. does Angel Eyes know this isn't Ben Collins or whatever the name is? Ben that Carson, he knows yeah. Ben right, Carson. Because right. yeah. um, obviously Tuco has no idea what he's gotten himself into. Right. Um, but so what does... What is does Angel Eyes know? Because- well, I thought no, I thought that I thought that he lifts up and says, you know, I'm. It's I thought because he doesn't because my my understanding of it was that Carson uh, Angel Eyes doesn't know Carson, doesn't That's know what, what he looks like, doesn't know who he is, yeah, but he does pretending- know Tuco. He knows Tuco oh. from 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 the past. That's okay. my impression. That's is that is that is that it's a genuine reunion. Mm. that that you know say ah angel eyes you know because mm. he just kind of says his moniker yeah you know, no one has a real name in this movie no. obviously but i mean i don't think carson is supposed to be his real name even no you because you get the thing that thing is oh he's it's like he's what's he going patch. by now he's what's he going by now yeah, yeah no one has no one has an actual real name in this everyone is a which is 
which is a holdover from uh from uh, uh the, the from the kurosawa films because yes. every time um uh sanjiro says his name it's something else yeah you know in each movie he says you know uh his it's sanjiro something you know yes. sanjiro it's, it's kind of amazing mulberry thing. field or whatever yeah because i'm um, from uh fistful to a few dollars um they had to change the name of um clint eastwood's character because they changed leone had a fallout with his producers so legally mm. he couldn't use the same character that was in fistful when he was doing a few dollars but he wears the exact same outfit it's the exact same. Yeah, it's it, the only difference is, you know, he's got that hand thing, which is why they call him Manko, which means yes. hand, right? And then the first movie, he's Joe. Yeah, it's Joe. I mean, that, is there a more generic name? I mean, <laughs> it's just like, let's do it. Let's do a, an American name. How about Joe? Yep. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And then in this one, he's blondie, even though he's yeah. kind of blonde. but uh, He's yeah. not that blonde. Not yeah, that blonde. Exactly. But you're right. Everyone's kind of got these false identities, which does fit in with the West, is that you commit mm-hmm. to be move over there to restart your life and not be the person you were when you yeah. left either the West East Coast of the United States or moved from another place. You could be right. this whole different person, but they are still the yeah. same people the only well obviously except for lee van cleef who is definitely not captain mortimer <laughs> no he's not captain mortimer in this yeah no not at all no. um and plus he's very different. um yeah. he's very different right. he, falls, he falls into a grave which i thought was quite fitting um right. but it, it, yeah so you've sort of got this thing but i love how the civil war is weaved into the story because technically yeah. you don't even need it but because leone is no. so confident in what he's doing He's wanting mm-hmm. to deconstruct American mythology. Yeah. Um, he wants to kind of, um, I mean, he worships these guys. So it's not like he's like, oh, I can do it better. No, he's like doing what Ford did, but he's just doing it through a Leone way. I love the Civil War stuff. That. Um, oh, yeah. That Union captain who's so drunk and so just blase. He wants to save his men, but he's so blase mm-hmm. about death that it has it's lost all meaning. It's, yeah. he's so good oh yeah uh there's there's so much of the uh, and my opinion is that if a movie includes a war um it's not really about the war that's being depicted it's about the war that's going on at the time the movie is being made yeah uh so this movie is i think partially about vietnam mm uh and just the nature of of war on just humanity in general because you see you see all these people that are you know maimed and you know the guy they call shorty who has no legs uh for example um some of those things are very italian i mean well yeah you remember leone grew up i can't remember if he was if he was born pre or post world war ii but he grew up in post-war Italy, World War II, which was yeah. very much like what is being depicted. I mean, you have yep. people with losing limbs. You have these kind of broken kind of things. War is just not, yeah, it's not about the Civil War because the Civil War was as brutal, probably, it, it was one of those. Oh, the, the, the Civil fought. War was probably more brutal than, than <laughs> I mean, yeah, the how do you World, compare it? I mean, it can compare it, but he's coming more from American a much. More Americans died in in uh, 
the civil war than all others combined. So. Exactly. So. It's but it's kind of coming from that more European sensibility of a man it is. who's reading the news about Vietnam and mm-hmm. has grown up in post-war Italy. Yeah. It's yeah. just that's where he's coming from. And I love mm-hmm. that texture of it, the fact that it is more just about this kind of very blaseness to the violence. Like yeah. Um, which is even more disturbing than it's very mid sixties into the seventies kind of mentality. Mentality, which is when because I was yeah. a few shots where I was thinking about platoon. So I don't know if oh, sure. Stone has seen this movie, but just some of the way oh, I'm sure, yes. framing certain things yeah. um, reminded me a lot of platoon. But Oliver Stone actually had been to Vietnam, so it mm-hmm. um, so it had kind of all these kind of sort of repercussions, which is very different mentality, but it, yeah, it just, but you're right. It's a war movie. A movie that involves a war is usually about the war that has been fought, not about the war that it's about. Um, right. And this has definitely got more of a, why are we here? Why are we fighting? The Confederate and yeah. the Union soldiers for this movie's purposes are the same. They are not right. different in any way, shape or form. Yeah. They, I think you're right. I think um, there's not, like political allegiances going on here. No. Um, I mean, at the very end, he, yes, the, this is to the wounded, captured um, Confederate soldier or captain says, you know, yeah. keep your ears open for when we blow up the bridge. Just, yes. you know, that. You know, there, there's that. Um, and then the, he finds the, the dying soldier who's uh you know he's a johnny reb he's got the red uh on the collars and hat of his confederate uniform and yeah. he gives him the cigar and lets him smoke and and, and let's you know. puts his blanket that's when you sort of yeah. see the good become kind of a less of a son of a bitch like he, yeah. he there's a mo- there's two moments of compassion he has for his fellow yep. man and yep. that is it. that is what makes him good <laughs> it's not and the fact it's, that he lets to go have some of the money like it's not yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, what how little separates him from Angel Eyes, if yeah. we're being honest, is um, I think maybe part of the theme of the movie is, you know, there's really um, just fine lines between the good, the bad and the ugly here. Um, now, the ugly is mostly a joke. I, I think yeah. because I you know I think I think for real I want to to go to because it's the only one that really refers to doesn't refer to um him being bad but yeah. him just kind of being unattractive yes. you know and and and, and nasty it's, it's it's kind of funny it's a well, little no, bit of a yeah yeah it goes back to the three kings is it the um mm. guys are trying to get the Iraqi um people over the border to Iran. Because it's the only thing they know how to help them with, and they've fucked yeah. up what happened in Iraq, so they 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 can't do anything there. It's kind of a right. small gesture. It's bigger in the movie because it's the climax, but it's kind of like Blondie just giving these small kind of touches of humanity. They're just gestures. It's like I'm going to give you a bit of alcohol, keep your ears open, I'm going to blow up the bridge, so the the fighting's going to stop in a moment. Yeah. And the smile yeah. on the guy's face is like, oh, which is that perfect Leone zoom zoom thing on the face and he's just ecstatic it's um yeah it's it's yeah. great um and then yeah giving the guy a bit of a, a bit of a thing on a cigarette and his jacket as a coat mm-hmm. like i mean he pokes yeah. the guy's wound, which i'm like dude <laughs> I, said, I know i know um but yeah but it's just then, a small then, gesture then of, it's, i realize you're the, another human being in that moment yeah it's the creation of the myth honestly because yes. uh, yes. because the next time we see him he's the man with no name 
he's got the puncher. Uh, it's all about the puncher. Yeah, he's got, uh, you know, he's collected the shirt and the hat over the course yeah. of the film. And then, you know, the Srape at the end. And it's, 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 you know what it means when you see it. Yeah. It, it's just kind of like, uh, and it's almost like a feeling. Um, and it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, I, I think the, the relationship between Tuco and Blondie is, so fun to watch i go just how their allegiances just turn and turn and turn over and over again um because uh you know dragging going from dragging him across depend, the desert depending to... on depending on how much the other can get them exactly you know get from that's, them yeah yeah that's all they yeah, yeah. That's all the, that matters to either of them. Their relationship know? is pure transactional. Like at the moment where they've timed the dynamite around the um around the bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Tuco's kind of like, yeah, we might die doing this. Um, he's like, yeah, pity. If I die, you're not going to get the, you right. won't know where to dig. Right. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, their relationship is purely transactional. Even when he takes him yeah. to the monastery to save him after he nearly killed him. Yeah. It's. Purely because he has information that he wants. It's not in right. any kind of, oh, maybe I'm sorry, dude. I, I, sorry about dragging you through the desert like, and yeah. almost killing you slowly with my pink umbrella. Sure. Right. Yeah. And that balance of power is constantly yeah, shifting. Exactly. Because, you know, that you have, you know, Blondie leaving him. You know, there are two, there's always two kinds of people in this world, right? Throughout oh, the film. Yeah. You know, um, and one with a gun and the one that digs. One, yeah. The one that <laughs> digs, right. And, and, but Blondie ultimately comes out on top because he he knows that he's going to unload his gun. He's going to unload Tuco's gun. Um, so I do love those the who loaded guns and those who dig. Yeah. Dig. Uh, but the you know the the sequence through the desert I think is really remarkable. Um, it's yeah. just you know seeing Eastwood just sort of turned into this husk, um, and then. Later, there's the the stop. At, there's then it sort of shifts again, where where uh, Tuco gets captured. Well, they both get captured mm. at first, you know. By they think they're <laughs> they think they're uh, Confederate soldiers, but they're Union soldiers with dust all over them. Yeah. Um, and then you know the the camps. They're talking about you know the the POW camps and how awful they were. Uh, that's that all true. Brought, Anderson yeah, that Cole, gets brought up in Hateful Eight again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And both, and honestly, uh, no, neither side is innocent on that. Both oh, no. uh, had had had. I mean, they talk about Andersonville, but there's uh, that which was a Confederate POW camp where there was. <laughs> they, that's mentioned in the movie, and he says, mm. "Well, why don't we be like them?" And it's yeah. like, well, in some ways, sometimes they were. Um, so, um, but then you know, Tuco gets tortured by angel eyes mm. and and uh the guy with the funny that's another thing that leone's always so good at is sort of like this topography of the human face yeah he's just you know you know the craggy interesting faces and stuff it's almost like another movie that might pair well with this is like freaks you know yes. todd browning's freaks. it really would because he is so yeah. fascinated i mean he just stares on people's faces yeah. a lot i know mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's almost become a joke of that smash zoom to the face all that yeah. kind of close up of the eyes but yeah, he is so fascinated with the face, and he's done it straight from um, uh, Fistful. Yeah, 
like he is interested oh, yeah, absolutely. in what these guys look like. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, Ingmar Bergman always was really interested in the human face too. And yes. Did some really fascinating stuff with that as well. Uh, but, you know, anyway, just, just this, and then, you know, being t- <laughs> being stuck chained to the guy on the train and yes uh, I mean, Tuco and does then, go through it like and i don't feel yeah. sorry for him an inch because he usually he's it's usually his fault but yeah. he does he's the right. one that tends to go through it more than the other two but, but it's it is his constant, story it's it's that constant shifting back and forth between blondie and uh tuco having the upper hand yeah and until the very end and i think that's uh one of the one of the things that's so engaging about just the plot of the movie. I mean, it's not a complicated plot. No. Uh, I, I think uh, some of the others might even have more complicated plots than this one. Probably but, fistful, I would say, but it's kind of. Yeah, because, because it's because it's based on uh, Kurosawa, who made <laughs> wild intertwined yeah. plot movies. Exactly. You know? And Yojimbo is. Sometimes like, all right, now what side are they on? Who's, yeah. who's side? You know, because it's on? all it's all about playing one side against the other. I know, over and I completely. If it wasn't for yeah. Gian, I would not know have a clue who the bad guys or the bad guys in this film. Um, so I'm just like, yeah. okay, I know Gian. I don't know who mm-hmm. this other guy is. Like, yeah. so I'm just gonna focus on, and he's the worst. So <laughs> out of and a lot of and a lot of times when I watch all three of these, um, I don't think too much about the story. I no. focus more on just the attitude of the movie. Which is kind um, of an Italian thing, to be honest. Yeah. And for me, Leone captures me with that more than a lot of other Italian filmmakers. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, uh, part of it is just the guy knew there was, I, there's a, that, I, again, I, I, mean, I, I use this word attitude a lot. But I don't know how else to describe it with Leone because it's not about plot. It's not about necessarily even characters. Yeah. You know, it's certainly not about dialogue. No. It's 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 about. I would say Tuco has too just, much dialogue. I just like the silence right. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's um, the fact that I, by the by the end of this movie, you know, when they're in that. Oh, the ecstasy of gold music when Tuco is just running around the it's he's almost skipping yeah it's a, we, a, yeah. I don't know if it's because Eli what because most people can't run okay we're not all Tom Cruise um so when you actually see someone normal running on film it looks kind of weird it's like watching uh yeah. Roger Moore run as James Bond I'm like no um but he's almost skipping and it's got this kind of freedom intensity anxiety yeah. It's a great fucking. There's a reason why Ecstasy of Gold is such a memorable piece yeah. of music. One, it's great. Two, yeah. it is accompanied the scene. Yeah, and you know, just starting from this and the bigness of that. I mean, someone had to put that all there. Together. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's massive, and um, with this stone circle in the middle, um, and then just when they do the shootout at the end, that massive distant shot where it just shows them slowly stepping to the three places. A certain young director in 19, when was Jules made again? 76? Yeah. yeah. 75. 75. Oh yeah, right. 75. The year my partner was born. I should remember that. Um, In 1975, when he had a certain Rod Schreider, 
uh, a certain um, uh, mayor who wanted those summer dollars and a shark scientist all standing right. by a sign, maneuvering around each other, <laughs> talking about that's the a, shark. That's a good point. Well, and I, I that's a good point. That's a good, mm-hmm. that's a great point. And I would also say that, um, you know, the very end, you know, smile, you son of a bitch. Yes. I think is I think it's drawn from this movie too. Yeah. Cause so. I did have someone showed me online that it was just showing how good Steven Spielberg is at blocking, even in 1975 that he had with, oh, having yeah, that yeah, whole yeah, conversation yeah. by the sign of Amityville and yeah. they're all talking and they're all kind of moving around and it's not, a close-up of each three of them, which good and the bad, the ugly would just go closer and closer and closer. Yeah, but it just them, gets, I mean, when you're showing shows, their hands, you're yeah. showing their showing the eyes, I, and the tension. I mean, he hold he pulls that tension for as long as you possibly can, and then and then totally does something. It's like who's going to shoot who, and then yeah. boom, I'm they both being, shoot angel eyes. Well, one of them, yeah. but thinks he's shooting angel yes. eyes. But it's um, it's just it's just I, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah it's yeah I mean just the way um because it's it starts on this kind of wide shot and you just see them everyone walking around and this music's kind of it's flicking between different motifs like the scores like mm-hmm. going from even the the watch score from a, uh for a few dollars more and then it's going to the whistle and then it's doing something else like it's kind of mixing the themes and then it starts and then when it just starts going their face their hands their face their hands their face their hands and just getting closer and closer and my god van cleef has the perfect shootout eyes i mean just the way that yeah he does the cat the cat eyes it's just Mm -hmm. um looks weird actually i don't know it's something about his face but it's um he's not quite good with two eyes um eli wallach's perfect he's got that Twitchy little shifting the way he's shifting his eyes between the two of them because he doesn't know who to trust. No. And and um Angel Eyes knows he can't choose he can't trust any of them. And Clint is kind of already has kind of the game figured out. He's got to figure it out. He's got to figure it out. Like uh Tuco can't shoot anyone, I can shoot Angel Eyes, I'm good. So he's and he knows that if if for somehow Angel Eyes gets him, there's nothing written on the bottom of the stone anyway. Exactly. So he's kind of the only one who knows what's going on, but yep. just the way, and then you go, ah, ah, wah, 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 wah. it's just, that, oh God, it's, it's, yeah, this is why this is one of the most famous scenes ever made. Yeah. And then that ending though, where, where he just has to fuck with him one more time. It's just kind of like, it, there's it's a it's a little bit cruel you it know it is i felt it's, it's sorry pretty for him cruel it's, that it's, it's like, like why is dog. he putting him through this because he's still letting him have half the money yeah does he it's, feel like he has to get that far away because he can't trust him to i think before? it's a bit of both i think yeah. he wants to fuck with him like he really yeah. wants to fuck with him and yeah. i know he has to be because there's always the shot of when chico's trying to hang Blondie, he always gets away at the last minute. Yeah. Um, and especially I love that scene when he first gets to him and there's this um moment where he's got them in the thing and 
the bomb goes off bomb the, goes the off can, Very, again cannon, yeah again indiana jones of the dial of destiny thank you. you i was just there like, we go <laughs> <laughs> i thought the same I, thing i was like oh my god most yeah. important movie ever made um yeah and then all of a sudden tuco looks up and it's just the news and this happens a couple of times when he's trying to hang mm-hmm. blondie like yep. he just he gets um because surely you only always said he saw the man with no name as in joe manco blondie as a spectral figure like as yep. he's meant to be and clint eastwood would make that a literal thing in high plains drifter i think that's the one mm-hmm. yep. um and pale, pale rider and too. pale rider like he yeah. really um like, like he's I was, a ghost yeah like he's mm-hmm. a ghost and Clint Eastwood took a, I mean, his two standing points for directors were Sergio Leone and Don Siegel. That is his two Absolutely. touch points. And yeah. it was, but the his uh, Siegel's Beguiled was definitely going to be a possible trailer idea, just because I love oh, that yeah. movie to death. Even that's though, a apparently, fascinating movie. It's a fascinating apparently, movie. it's apparently you can't like that movie anymore. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, <laughs> okay, is it misogynistic? Yes. But that's the point of the, that's the point of the, movie. the movie okay you gotta remember <laughs> don siegel was a very conservative man but he was like john ford as he would poke at things to try and figure yeah. out if these i've, act- I've actually heard he was things. a liberal i've actually heard he politically he was pretty liberal i've heard the well he did that's well, what yeah. that's what i heard i heard because I he did know. make um thing of the body snatches and that is a very liberal Move, well, well depends on how you watch it depends on how you, you watch can, it you, which i think is a lot you of can watch movies, that actually. movie more more ways than one you so. can so like yeah. a lot of don siegel's movies which is why he was a goddamn freaking genius i still oh, like I beguiled i think that I lo- yeah i was that, that I point was of the slave character Lord is to God. look at all these other women and go you don't know shit like that is yeah yeah, yeah there's a common that like he is poking and he's comment commenting and quite frankly I like the fact that they poisoned him at the end. I think that is awesome. Um, <laughs> and that Clint Eastwood would do a movie where that happens, and he plays a son of a bitch. I mean, yeah. he, he, and you know, he's awful in that movie. It's it's mm-hmm. not quite at the Colin Farrell one. Knows it. The yeah, yeah. He knows he's manipulating. It's good. It's yeah. a very different tone and theme, and I think Colin Farrell's playing it a little bit more seductively than, say, Clint Eastwood, who's playing it like a son of a bitch um sure. so yeah it's a, it's just a bit different but um i like the beguiled i think that is an amazing i think it's a fascinating fascinating movie um and oh, i forgot what point i was trying to make about leone anyway leone rules <laughs> yeah that's what it comes down to and this movie is um i mean i like i said i don't think it's as best but i think it's no. sort of encapsul- it sort of encapsulates what he was all about in a lot of ways what do you think leone's best movie is um i know this is probably this is i'm i'm slightly contrary on this but i think it's a few dollars more uh i like it better than once upon a time in the west which i think is a great movie but mm. maybe a little over long maybe a little trying to do too much and then um once upon a time in america is great but confusing as hell um i i don't actually think i think he broke the bounds of what a movie is with yeah. one i mean i think it's still his greatest i would say once upon a time in america is his greatest achievement because yeah i would a, I, I yeah a I movie with that. yeah and mm-hmm. he went oh i'm going outside the lines and you and it's confusing it's surreal it's like was this all a dream was this just a fever dream morphine dream that yeah. dinero was having to James mm-hmm. Woods in fact kill himself by jumping into a garbage yeah. Yeah. thing. Sure. Right. Um 
I think that movie well, is incredible. I do have to say, I haven't But construction-wise, it might be I a few dollars more. Even though yeah, I love I, Once, Upon, Once Upon a Time in the West is my favorite. Yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, I can't argue with that. I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time, and I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in America in a long time either. So I should, uh, so I have a hard time, you know, giving my definitive answer um, when I've really only seen the Dollars trilogy within recent mm. memory. So. Yeah, but no, uh, watching, if I was blown away by watching for a few dollars more. Like that, mm. just the composition the, the score, the performances, how they all intertwined together was yeah. just, and this kind of did as well. There were scenes that I just went, oh God, Leone's really good. Like he, when you sort of talk about scope and landscape, yeah. he's a master of landscape. Like, oh, absolutely. It doesn't matter that this is Spain, that right. uh, it doesn't, it's just got, I hate it when I say that the, the landscape is a character, but it kind of is in this movie. But the way he he treats it like someone's face, like he gives you all the minute details and it kind of plays into everything that is happening, which is why I love the fact that the Civil War is kind of in the background. Yeah. But it's so important to what is happening in in the movie. Um, This might have been in the thing I watched because I definitely watched To Go With The Chicken and um, I loved how it was shot, but I'm like, this is very strange. Um, There's a scene when Levon Cleef is walking up on, I don't think he even knows what kind of camp it is. He just knows, and I think it's the mm-hmm. Confederate because they're in gray. Yeah. And he's walking up. I mean, the way he uses ruins in this movie is absolutely amazing. And yeah. there's this kind of, bro- I mean, there's like broken kind of things everywhere. There's rubble and these guys are just hunkering down in um, in this kind of broken place and they're barely surviving. And it all kind of speaks to this desolate kind of surrealist landscape where these three guys are after this gold. And yeah. it's kind of, yeah. Um, Tuco opening the bags of gold once he gets out of the grave does remind me of when the guys are going and three Kings going through the suitcases and they're just finding all this other stuff and mm-hmm. like jewelry and, and, and just practical, just stuff. And George Clooney's no, we're not taking that. We're after the gold. You leave that. Right. That is not right. what we're he kind of sees that as stealing, but not the gold. Right, not the gold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of yeah. similar with this movie. It's all about the gold, and yeah. it's just this desolate landscape where society has been completely upended. There are no rules. Good Great movie. movie. Really good movie. Yeah. I'm turned around on it. I thought, oh, this is uh. no. Though I think Tuco, just because I've just watched so many movies of Leone stillness, which I love, and then I got to. Tuco, who's so busy, and he though that gun scene when he's putting the gun together, and I'm like, he's like bullets. I'm like, don't give him the bullets. <laughs> yeah, I've seen enough '80s movies that have um, lifted the scene and the one from um, Public Enemy. <laughs> I right. know how this is gonna go. <laughs> one of the things that I like is a lot of the business. You know, like how Tuco's always crossing himself. And, yes. Yeah. You know, and things like that. Someone dies, he'll cross yeah. himself. Or when he, when he sees the grave uh, as a skeleton, he'll do the. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's a lot of cool little pieces of business that I like yeah. about him. And so I anyway. it's probably why I like once upon a time in the West a bit more, just because it is sure. Leone stillness. And that's just my aesthetic and how, what I've watched. Yeah. So I think it's well, I mean, just a bit of a change the, where I had to, but by the end I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm on, I'm on board with Tuco. It just took there's me a, yeah. there's a big old bonus in uh, once upon a time in the West. And that is Claudia Cardinal's in it. And I could watch, her for 
a long Me, time. I am a straight lady and I could watch her for a long time. But <laughs> it is also the fact that she is the main character of Once Upon a Time in the West. It's her movie. Yeah. It's her story. Mm-hmm. And she owns every second. She owns every minute of it. Oh, yeah. um, which, again, is maybe why I love that movie more. But, oh, my gosh, she's so good in that movie. Um, she's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, it's kind of hard to talk about it's Good, the Bad, the Ugly because I'm like, yeah, it's a masterpiece by a director who constantly made masterpieces. I don't know. What that right, is. right. Um, anything else right. you want to point out about Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? Uh, not that I can think of. Yeah. So we've been we've been at it at a long time here. We have been. I didn't realize I didn't realize what time it was. Me too. Oh, until my, I just my, checked. My, went... my wife is calling me for dinner, and I'm like, oh, uh, it's like, oh. Well, I will let you that. go. Oh, yes, I will let you go and have dinner because <laughs> we have been at it for a long time. And thank you yeah. so much for coming on. Um, absolutely yeah this was an amazing amazing double um before we finish please tell people where they can find your good work okay uh well you can find most of what i write is uh bloody disgusting uh and manor vellum um which is uh through medium so manor um so you can search those places or uh I, I do like Men of Elm a lot, actually. Yeah. Uh, lots of good work coming out of there um, from a lot of really good writers. Um, so, yeah. And, hey, we're always looking for more people to jump in, you know, <laughs> from different perspectives. So I uh, would love to love to see more of that. Anyway, um, so I'm I'm sort of in the midst of a Frankenstein series I'm writing there, but I'm also interspersing it with other things. Uh, They're a little bit more uh, personal, a little Mm. bit more, um, a little quicker Mm. uh, to read and work on. (laughs) Um, I usually do two or three articles a month on Bloody Mm. Disgusting. Um, Man, I've written over 50 articles for them now, uh, which is is, uh, just kind of mind boggling for me. Might be closer to seventy five, actually. Wow, that's um, insane. So, yeah, um, but anyway, so there's that. Uh, I'm occasionally on Twitter at uh, Brian Waves forty two, Instagram Threads. There, if I ever end up on Blue Sky, which I doubt I will, uh, I'll probably have the same handle. Um, uh, you can find our show. Uh, which is movies for life at movie life pod on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sorry, X and Instagram, hmm. which I'm not going to ever call it X. Sorry. Um, and, uh, no, it's uh, Twitter. Yeah. I'm not, I'm refusing to call it yeah. X. Yeah. Basically on all the socials, I'm either shocking or one or uh reading geek. You can find me under any socials. I'm on too many. So I'm just trialing them out. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. And yeah. I'm not, I don't, I don't spend that much time on them anymore. I kind of, I need to stop. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have the podcast. I don't really, yeah. Anyway, thank you. We're on all the, uh, all the streaming services as well for whatever the, for the pods. Um, And yeah, thank you so much for listening to the series. This has been an absolute blast. Um, Thank you, Brian, for coming on to talk about the good and the bad and the ugly. This was a ton of fun. Um, It was was like watching it for the first time again. Uh, Both movies were, which was kind of very, very cool. Pretty much when this comes out, it will be it actually might be the stuff very be a couple of episodes and then we'll be getting into the October stuff. So yes, did I time things badly? Yes, but it's my show. So it's gonna be the only <laughs> the werewolves and it's gonna be awesome. Um awesome. yeah, but thank you so much for coming on and talking these movies. Um Movies for Life is a great podcast. I love listening to it. 
And yeah, we will be back with another double feature. All right, thanks guys. Bye.